I'm really great. I'm I'm in a great mood. You're kidding. I'm in a particularly good mood. <laughs> I'm so glad. You're not worried? You're talking about the snowpocalypse, right? <laughs> yeah, right. The Jonastrophe. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, what do they call it? Winter Storm Jonas, which is it, uh, obviously a big point of conversation here at, uh, here at the Gruber household. Jonas is, is, is a bit impressed. He's excited. He's, he's like a hashtag on Twitter now. <laughs> so he's very excited about that. Your son is trending. But he's, he is, he's disappointed and slightly embarrassed by the fact that this is a big storm that is, that is coming on a Friday night, which is the worst possible time for a, a storm to hit in terms of maybe getting a day off of school. Like yeah, it could not, could, could not possibly be worse time. <laughs> like there was no, no, no conversation whatsoever about canceling school today in advance of the snowstorm because they're, they're so certain of when it, that it's not going to come until this evening that there was no need to cancel school in advance. See, at this point, science is working against children. Because <laughs> when we were younger, we did not have this kind of technology to know. We had a rough idea of what kind of thing would happen like in a given week. You know, and and also I don't think there was that as much concern for like makeup days. Like I feel like when I was a kid, you would only get into the makeup days if you had like five or I don't know ten snow days. And nowadays, today everything runs on such a tight schedule. Right, and like maybe maybe they'd go back after after a bunch of snow days. They'd assign one of the school secretaries. Hey, go back and count just how many days we've had school. You know what? We should probably write that down. Okay, somebody go, Louise. Can you go check that out for us? No, I'm excited. Here's why I'm oh, I'm not excited, but I'm um, I'm excited about the snow, but I'm happy. I'm in a good mood because um I was I woke up terribly sick on on Wednesday. Uh and just just felt almost dead. And then I felt a, a little better, but still definitely sick yesterday, and today is the day where I feel I still feel I'm not like good. I'm um you know, like but I'm I'm on the upswing and I, to me that's it's the best. It's better better than being at 100% health is that day after you've you've had a bug for a couple of days where you feel like hey I you know I woke up feeling good today. Especially when you've had like a especially especially when you've had a long cold and you know maybe you're just starting to get into the coughing phase or something you know that kind of late end but the day you stop getting worse is such a good day. The first day we were like oh god I might survive this. I, you know, you told me about that yesterday, and I have to say you sound way better than I expected, but I was thinking, like, you're sick, Marco's sick, Dan's had some kind of crazy, like, stomach bug, like, there's so many, and I was, I was kind of just sitting there, you know, when you're waking up and you get paranoid? I was waking up, and I was just thinking about, like, how many people I know are sick right now. Is this a big East Coast thing? Is this, they be. say there's, like, this killer flu that is going around the East Coast. Well, I, I want to ask you about this. I, I want to get your medical advice, honestly. Yeah, I'd love to help. Um, is that I, I think I had the flu. And Amy tells me, no way did you have the flu because nobody shakes the flu off in 48 hours. You obviously didn't have the flu. You had a cold. But I know what a cold is like. And for me, a cold is entirely in my head and my throat. It is in my nose. It's in my, my forehead. Sometimes it's, it's like pressure in my eyes. And it's always in my throat. This was a whole body thing. This is what happened. I went to I, Tuesday night, I felt perfect. I felt 100% healthy. Went to bed. Woke up Wednesday morning. And I felt horrible i mean just uh, i was like i think i'm sick or something and my whole body felt like maybe i had signed up for the gym the day before and and decided i would do everything oh you had the overall like body soreness and heaviness oh without i mean real real i mean like my legs hurt i felt like i i was 
you know, maybe I'd put on a hundred pounds and my legs weren't suited to, to carry this much weight up and down the stairs. My arms hurt everything that was, you know, it, it, and muscle ache, you know, like, like I had gone to the gym at, you know, and, and worked out after never having lifted weights in my life and, and overall every muscle in my body hurt. Um, yeah, headache. Uh, clearly I felt like I had a fever. Uh, all these things that to me are not a cold. They, like that's the flu. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, what are the yeah. other options? I mean, what do they, what do they call it? I mean, well, maybe I, you can have I could a, do a differential, a differential diagnosis. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, it's funny to say that. Like for me, I totally agree. Like, uh, like if something starts for me, it always starts with an, uh, Oh, and that, uh, Oh, if I get a cold, it's usually like, Oh, my throat doesn't hurt exactly, but my throat feels weird. That's the first thing is like swallowing doesn't hurt exactly, but I notice swallowing. That's the first uh oh red flag. But what you're describing, I had something really similar maybe a month and a half ago, maybe a little longer. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm getting the flu. I'm definitely getting the flu. And this was on like a maybe like a Saturday or something or Friday. Anyway, and then the thing was, it kind of presented as being flu like. I didn't have any of the, uh, you know, the tummy stuff, but I had, I did feel like really heavy, really tired. And then it turned into what felt like, and then it looked like within a day, it felt like I was getting over a cold within a day. So I wonder if there's some kind of a new hybrid cold flu that might be out there. Yeah, I think that sometimes you can get lucky and get a mild case of the flu. Like I realized that if you really get whacked right, right square, you know, right in a, right in a bullseye by the mm-hmm. flu, that you're down for like two weeks. And that's, that's terrible. It's been years since I've had something like this, but. This is clearly not a cold. Do you really understand the difference? No, not really. I don't either. I, no. I say that, or you say something. So when you self-diagnose, I love how you self-diagnose, <laughs> and you go like, oh, man, I think I'm getting a little cold. Or, or you go like, oh, man, I'm, I'm coming down with the flu. Or you go like, eh, I probably got a 24-hour bug. I don't know what any of that actually means, but I'll do it with my daughter too. Because with my daughter, I'm the house shaman. Like I'm the one who tries to predict like how much this is going to destroy. Because you know, as soon as the kid gets sick, it's you know game over. Everybody will get sick, and it's going to be the worst. And so I'll go like, <laughs> I'll come in with my my rattles and my headdress and my beads, and I'll be like, mm, 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 mm. Eleanor will be fine in by Sunday afternoon, and I'll make a pronouncement. It's rarely right, but then sometimes it's just weird. I feel like colds and flus are changing. I feel like it used to be you knew how long you were going to get sick. I think something has mutated and is changing. It might be the water. It could be meats. But I think stuff is changing from when I was a kid. I, I've always felt like it's it, the the difference between the two things. It's it, you know I don't, it's all nebulous to me. It's a lot of the symptoms overlap. But I did I googled it again, and you know here I am. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> well. Old. As long as you're getting scientific about it, <laughs> yeah, I googled it. Uh, I mean, there's no better way to get expert medical advice. But there's like a checklist on the WebMD, and they're like a cold. Uh, you know, often comes on slowly. You know, like you said, you get that heads up. You you have that day where you're like, oh my god, I think, feel like there's a fifty percent chance I'm going to be sick as shit tomorrow. You, get, you feel like you're getting like twenty percent. No, I mean, you're getting like eight percent worse every hour, like fairly consistently. Do you know what? Where, I'll tell you what a big telltale sign of a cold for me yeah. is. A big telltale sign, like the twenty four hour advance notice. Like here I am, wake up, feel fine, no no suspicions, no warning flags, whatever. I make some coffee. I'm reading some news, seeing what happened overnight. And then I take a first sip of coffee, uh-huh. and it tastes like shit, like yep. terrible. Like, how can anybody drink this? And then I think, did I, and then I quick, like, run through, did I, did I make it wrong? Did I not put enough beans in? Uh, and then I think, oh, shit, I'm getting Oh, you, you know what it is, buddy. 
You know what it is. I'm getting sick. You're, exactly. You're ignoring it. You're, you're trying to throw yourself off the scent. But that's probably, as scientists, we can look at this and say that's probably a little bit about scent. It's got to have to do with your sense of smell. It might have to do with, like, your throat not feeling so good. But your body is telling you, oh, you're going to get sick, buddy. Yeah. And it's, it's like something on my tongue, you know? And then the other thing in, in advance is that something acidic, like orange juice, will, will start stinging the back of my throat. Like, I don't have a sore throat yet, but like something acidic like orange juice, it doesn't go down, doesn't, it isn't pleasurable as I swallow. And that's to me, is like, ooh, the next day I'm going to mm-hmm. be sick. See, and they say that's a cold, that a cold, you know, you have advanced warning. And that a cold uh, seldom has a fever, uh, seldom has a headache. Uh, I, I had a terrible fever. I, I, would, I didn't take a measurement of it. I don't have a thermometer. I would estimate my fever on, on Wednesday and then overnight going into tomorrow, I would estimate it around 107. Mm. <laughs> Sounds pretty high. Well, I, well I, I tell you what, I, but I think the reason I felt started feeling better yesterday, I, I think I sweated it out. I think I sweated this flu out of my body because I'll tell you what, I woke up, I woke up yesterday morning and it was like I was like a grease stain. Every single thing you're mentioning, I don't know if there's any basis in science or medicine for what you're describing, but I've thought all of those things. When I was a little kid, if you had a fever, you had to stay in bed until you quote unquote sweated it out. Is that a thing? I think it is. I don't believe uh-huh. I, I, and I know it's different with small children. With small children, you're worried. Oh, they can get wanna, up to like 114. I oh think. yeah, they're aching, and you want to take care of that because that you know that's serious business. But I think as a as an adult, you don't take. I don't take anything to 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 take you know take the fever down or whatever. I feel like if your body wants to have a fever, then let it go. It, you know, you'll sweat this out. Let me ask you this. Um, I think I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like anyone who has kids can agree that it's children that cause illness because they're little <laughs> disgusting sponges who touch everything. They eat other kids' boogers on a dare and, and then uh, they rub around on the playground and then they come home and they bring that into your home. Do you have a sense? Let me ask you this. This is a factual question. Um, do you know what your school's rule is for when you should or should not send your kid to school? That's an excellent question. I don't. I think Amy would probably know a little bit more, but uh, it, it, it is uh, in the modern age. And, you know, I, I'm, I mean, this goes back decades. I think when you and I were kids, we're at the pivot point of this. Clearly, before our time, there was a, a stay-at-home parent in a lot of households, uh, usually, obviously, the mother, and you know, in today's world, there are you know, there's not so many stay-at-home parents. Uh, well, and also, I mean, like I can tell you, our my my daughter is in, um, you know, enrichment and aftercare until usually uh, three or four every day. But there are kids who are there till dark. They're they're yeah. till six. Like the parents need those, both parents are working. There is no one to take care of that kid unless someone doesn't get paid. That right. Day. And so I actually I, I don't know the rules, but I know that a lot of kids go when they probably shouldn't, and probably when the parents kind of wish that they could leave them home, but that it is such an enormous. Uh, uh, t- thing to untangle from to to if you don't send the kid to school, what do you do? And and you know, and a lot of times it pops up. It only pops up in the morning. You know, when it, you right. wake up and it, it's you know you might have meetings, you might have stuff. So I I am super sympathetic to that. I don't know, and I know that the school's rules for this is is not very. Uh, well, I'll tell you what ours are. So first of all, to your point, I think the pendulum has swung. I think that I think that there was a time. Uh, you know, in the post, uh, you know, Benjamin Spock era, where we wanted to toughen up our kids and not turn turn them into sissies and dancers, and so you send them to school. You got to send them to school. You got to go to school. Doesn't matter how sick you are. And then I think I feel like from from for me in the last, 
I want to say, even when I had a job in the 90s, they made it very clear to people, you know, don't come to work if you're sick because you'll make other people sick. We never used to talk about that. It used to just be you had to be home because you were ill. But then there was this sense of, no, let's be more, you know, the pendulum swings that way. And you say like, oh, no, let's not make other people sick. It's my understanding today. And I I might get this wrong, but I believe this is correct. Because I don't like going to school and seeing a bunch of snot. It freaks me out. I hate those kids who are just walking down the hallway and coughing. I get all like Howard Hughes. I get all Dan Benjamin when I see that. And so, you know, and I hate to say it. And my my kid's a bit fastidious. So he he is not this way. But there's a classic kid who just seems completely ignorant of snot coming out of the nose. He's just used to it and he doesn't mind it. (laughs) You could see one, you know, the really, the really, the really classic pro level snot kid will have, will have the crust. Around the rim, right, and then the still kind of moist droplet, like pine tar falling, right. and, then and it, you know, it might take years for that one to fall, but it's there. It, it almost looks like they're like uh, one of those, like a stalactite. You know, well, no, like you know how like there, there's like two kinds of aliens in Star Wars. There's the ones that look like totally, you know, like some kind of outlandish design, and then there's the ones that are like mostly human but have like a little thing different, and like it looks like the, you know maybe you're an alien who has like a a crusty rock formation coming yeah. out where your nose should be. Uh huh. Here's what I think. This is what my wife said. Is I think I might might be getting this wrong, but I feel like what she told me was, you keep your kid home officially if they have a fever, uh, vomiting, and or diarrhea. (laughs) Otherwise, they're good to go. Your kid, your kid could be like literally have a vein open, and as long as they're not vomiting and inconveniencing people, you just wheel them right in. Isn't that nuts? Can you imagine that? Honestly, I whether it's official or not, it sounds. It seems to me like that is, uh, practically speaking, the way it goes. Like, and those are the things. The fever is the one where it's like a kid with a fever is so miserable. Oh. It, 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 it's it, they just because when you're little, you feel it so much more. Like oh. I, I hate having a fever, but I remember the fevers. I still remember the earaches and fevers of my childhood. Title uh, that still in my in my mind, I feel like I still remember thinking. Maybe short of my first migraine, like this is the most excruciating thing I will ever feel is like the feeling of being out of your body and yet incredibly connected to the pain in your body when you have a fever. And then also like having the same dream over and over. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's go to school. Let's do some geography today, John. I remember, the thing I remember about having a fever as a kid was how severe the chills were. And what what a great name for the symptom that is. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but it it sounds like a Stephen King novel. And it, when you're a kid having the chills, for me at least, I I remember it vividly. It, there was nothing you could do. You you could douse me in, in in lighter fluid and light me on fire, and it wouldn't warm me up. You know, even like though I had a fever. You know, my torso it, and trunk would feel like they were in a walk in freezer, right. and my head might feel like it was in a microwave <laughs> at the same time. And I could not stand anything touching my skin. Right. And like, like, you're like, I can't, the bike is not helping me. Right. And like the real life, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's only like 20 degrees here in Philadelphia today. It's, it's 26. Very, 26 it's very earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go out in weather like that and it's unpleasant, but eventually your skin starts to burn. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a, I don't know, there's some kind of way that your, your nerves sort of compensate for this. And they're like, all right, we get it. It's real cold. We're going to, you know, even this out. When you have the chills, especially as a kid, like you said, it's just so much more sensitive. That cold just never stops. It, 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 and it's it's the worst. Well, it's like uh, you know I haven't had time to Google this, so I'm just going to guess. But uh, you know what what is that? Something's happening. Something's telling you your body is way out of whack. And I think 
I think what a fever is doing is whatever it is that is causing the fever, it's trying to raise your body temperature to kill that thing. Yeah, is that to, what it is? to sweat it out. To sweat it out. That's ultimately... <laughs> that's yeah. what happened. I didn't fight the fever. And then last... Not not this night, not, not Thursday night going into today, but Wednesday night going into Thursday, I sweated it out. I woke up as a as a breathing grease, grease stain. So so Wednesday, so it's Friday as we record this. Uh, but like, let's say around, if you can remember in your state, around lunchtime Wednesday, what was your prognosis? Did you like, you know, did you feel like, oh, this is going to be something I get over or this is going to be like a two weeker or is this going to be, you know, what's this going to be? I never had, I, I, well, I shouldn't say never, knock on wood, but I, I haven't been sick for like more than a handful of days in years. I, I'm, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm fortunate to have overall very good health. Uh, you, you know how to sweat it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, but I, I wouldn't have guessed that I would feel as good as I do today. I thought I was looking at a, maybe like through the weekend type thing. What Let me pathetic, tell you this. What a pathetic thing as an adult that like the high point of your week is you, <laughs> you don't feel sick anymore. <laughs> I love it. So, Let it's me so tell you. Sad. Here's it's not like I got a free model or something, or I got I get to go to Disney World. It's here's, like, hey, I don't feel as bad. Here's my Wednesday. My Wednesday is I had no idea I was getting sick. I woke up and uh, uh, and actually I, I should say when I woke up I didn't really even think that I was sick. I just felt sore, and I thought you know that boy I'm really in bad shape because I you know run some errands or you know like Monday and Tuesday done some you know walked a couple miles. And my legs felt so sore. I was like, that is pathetic that my legs feel so sore after just what just normal urban walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started like thinking a little bit more about how I felt. And I was like, you know what? I'm sick. And I'm like, oh, I'm hot. And it's like the heat's not on high. I've got a fever. And then I realized I was just parched with thirst. And I was like, this isn't good. And I realized I, I, it just dawned on me very slowly. Like I, I've got the flu or something. And I thought I'm parched with thirst. I I I, I cannot. I, I just need something cold to drink. But I really want it. Had to be bubbly. I had. I needed fizzy water because it, the idea of drinking still water was absolutely disgusting to me. It just felt like it would. I normally don't like to drink still water, but at this moment, there's something. Re- sick, once you really get into fizzy water, there's something slightly revolting about room temperature flat water. And it's exaggerated when I'm sick. In the same way that coffee doesn't taste good when I'm sick. Only something fizzy tastes good. It like it's the way my my tongue feels. I need the bubbles to like kind of burn the sick off the tongue or something. Mm-hmm. So I go downstairs, and all of my all of my soda stream bottles are empty. Now that's my own fault because uh, mm-hmm. I'm the only one in the house who drinks this stuff. It's not like I can't blame anybody else because nobody else drinks it. So I go to fill one up and I put it in the the penguin and I start pumping it and it makes that sick sound when when the, the canister's empty. So oh, the no. CO2 canister is empty. Now, months ago, I had switched from keeping the spare canisters under the sink to keeping them down on our first floor, which is sort of a basement garage level. We, there's no living area down there, but it's not really a basement because it's sort of street level. But it's ground level, and uh, we have like a storeroom down there. Mm-hmm. I keep them there to, to as a courtesy to to Amy to not take up space under the sink with with my own fizzy water thing that I only have to replace every couple weeks. So I go downstairs and I'm barefoot, but it's only like 20 degrees outside and it's like a tile floor (laughs) and it's just so cold. And I just, I I couldn't take it. So I'm down on the first floor and it's a stone, I I don't know, I would say that the floor was around negative 30 or 40 degrees. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's pretty cold. And I go back to where. Well, I that's keep... just one of the properties. Is it like a concrete kind of just like? Eh, like it's not cement? concrete. It's tile. It's you know some. Oh, kind tile's of... even worse. I, th- t- I think t- tile will typically be forty to sixty degrees colder yeah, than whatever exactly. room it's in. That's why you got to put water in your tub. I go to the back room and uh, where they are, and I reach. To, I got to get down on the floor to find these things. And all three of the ones I have there, they're all <laughs> empty already. <laughs> oh no. So apparently, at some point, my system is I have four. I keep four canisters of the 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 CO two, and when I have three empties, I go to the Williams Sonoma across town and and you know swap the three old ones out for three new ones, and then I've you know my fourth is the one that. So apparently, I screwed that up whenever I swapped the last one out, but so I'm left with with nothing. I've got nothing, and I'm already down there on this cold floor. Oh no! And I've got no fizzy water, but I need something fizzy. So I had a beer. Oh, good for you! And that, that's that, that's got the performance characteristics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fizzy, and and so and the the beer doesn't freeze when it's sitting. Was it outside or was it in a downstairs refrigerator? No, it was in a refrigerator. Your regular refrigerator, your primary refrigerator. Yeah. So I had a beer and I went back to bed, but I had to go. I, th- up I think four any doctor's going to tell you that's totally permissible because you're hydrating, you're helping to sweat it out, and you're getting the fizziness that would prevent you from uh, being disgusted by flat water. All right. Mm-hmm. So then I woke back up around noon. Um, did, did it help you sleep at all? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it was about an hour. Um, then I took a shower, which is the best I felt. Do you feel good when you're sick? Do you feel good when you take a shower? Six a day when I'm sick. <laughs> it's the best, right? No doubt. <laughs> it's like Dra- some... Drought schmout. I'm in there for six hours. <laughs> no, it... it's, it's literally the only thing. It'll, it'll give me relief or make me, it'll like make me feel less awful for a little while. And then even for a little while after I get out, I'll continue to feel like less awful. It's the only relief. And if you have a cold and if you're or stuffy in some way, the steam, you know, it temporarily opens you up and stuff like that. It just feels good. So I felt, I started feeling better again. I got dressed, put, put some nice clean clothes on and, uh, and I was going to go out and uh, buy, I couldn't, I couldn't make it far enough away. There's no way I, in my state I was going to make it far enough to get the uh, CO2 cartridges. I was going to buy some Pellegrino or some Perrier or something at the, you know, just a block or two away. Um. Uh, and so I, I went to the store, and I, we didn't have any orange juice in the house either. So I, was like, I went to the store, and the only stuff I wanted to buy, I wanted to buy fizzy, bottles of fizzy water, some orange juice, and uh, I forget what else, something else. Oh, the, those little cans of uh, San Pellegrino, the orange ones. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, those, those are nice with the little uh, wrapper on them. Yeah, exactly, with the little wrapper on them. It's sort of like a cross between fizzy water and, and soda. You know, there's... Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the heaviest stuff you can possibly buy from from a market, <laughs> and i I realized that I, I I realized exactly who I felt like, what my posture looked like, and the pace that I was walking at, and and my <laughs> capabilities of carrying these groceries is I was C Montgomery Burns. <laughs> you look like a question mark. Yes. <laughs> like I didn't have this. I didn't have the strength to keep my back straight. <laughs> and you're you're a tall fella, so you 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 bet that was pretty pronounced as you walk home with your little orange sodas. Oh, that's so sad. But here I am on Friday, and I feel hey, great. You are, you're not you're not uh, you. It looks like you got the Instacart there in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, see, I don't know how that works. Oh my god, I can't believe you're not using this. And I, I was it would it get it to me within an hour? Uh, well, in San Francisco, uh, it's usually two hours, depending on how busy they are. It's two hours, but sometimes they have one hour availability. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they'll bring it right out to you. But no, but uh, yeah, it just, it's just to me like just the dread of even leaving the house in a situation like that. It's just, 
Can't do it. I will add that Amy was busy at the time. She, I forget where she was, but she was out of the house. And, and so it wasn't as though Amy was there and wasn't willing to help me. I, I needed to help myself or remained completely parched. Just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I think she saw that I was getting sick and got the hell out. <laughs> anyway, you're right about the kids as the source. I feel like if we could now, I mean, we don't want to kill all the children, but if we could... Not, not, not immediately, no. If we could isolate them, if we could just collect all the children of the world and, and uh, you know, lords of the fly them, like, let's send them to Australia, because I think there's okay. plenty of land down there. Put them all in Australia for maybe like an 18-month stretch. Mm-hmm. So some of them obviously will be killed by spiders. I, I, well, I mean that's inevitable down there. Is that is that a stereotype, John? <laughs> that there's spiders, spiders in Australia. That there's, there's giant deadly spiders. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I, I would say Australia. Most of Australia is pretty much like that room in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. That's kind of what I imagine. Like not and maybe a little better lit. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got? You got uh, probably howler monkeys. You got you got uh, killer wombats. Like it's just uh, people with, with big knives. I don't know. It sounds like a pretty rough place. I I'm just picking a place that's isolated. You know. But you. But yeah. Well, if I, we could just eliminate children for about a year and a half, isolate children for a oh year somewhere, and a half. especially somewhere dry where they could sweat it out. Yeah, exactly. What, whatever I've, you're like, you got a year to be sick. Get it out of your system. We would eradicate every disease known to man. Every, every contagious disease, at least, known to man, maybe other than STDs, <laughs> in the rest of the world. Let's hope they don't discover that. Right. <laughs> Australia really makes you a little wild. Pop, yeah, I, I... It popped into I, my head that STDs might not be helped by this. But in terms of diseases like colds <laughs> and flus... Not. <laughs> in terms of diseases like colds and flus, if we could get rid of the children for about a year and a half, just to let these things... They would just die right out. If we just spent one day a week during that year scrubbing everything... <laughs> You know, well, here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm not going to shut up about this. I think the hand washing thing makes a huge difference. At my kids' preschool, they washed hands. You wash hands when you like grown ups and kids. You wash hands when you arrive at school. You wash hands when you leave school, and you go and you wash hands at every transition point throughout the day. And I'm not a hand washing lunatic, except that I have seen the difference, and I, I I know what a difference it makes. It doesn't. It won't like stop your kid from getting sick, but it makes a huge difference. Because you just think about, like, we go downtown, we ride public transit, we go to the movies, and then my kid, like, you know, grabs some popcorn and, and sticks it in her mouth. I'm like, are you kidding? Do you have any idea where your hand has been? Do you know how much of San Francisco is on your hand right now? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, ugh. She, she just sits on the floor on public transit. It's like, don't do that. Like, what are you, what are you doing? No, at her school now? No. no. You know, they're real busy. They're real busy. They can't wash hands all the time. And so uh, she gets sick a lot more. I I realize I realize I see the logic of the legislation. You know, the the employees must wash hands. That there's it must be a sign that states those exact words in every restaurant. Yeah, I think restaurant. you have to put up the sign. I don't know if you have to enforce the actual uh, hand washing. Uh, but, I, but the thing that always gets me about those signs is the idea that if you're not an employee, whatever you want to do. Yeah, but like, conversely, also, don't you kind of love the idea of somebody who works in a kitchen that has to be re- reminded to wash their hands after taking a shit? <laughs> or just touching the door. <clears throat> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, we started watching Kitchen Nightmares. Now I don't want to eat out anymore. Oh. This show's terrible. I don't want to watch a show like that. What have you done to this avocado? <laughs> 
Who's the host of that show? <clears throat> that uh, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, that's what I thought. Yeah, you know what? Jonas and and Amy like to watch that show. I I I choose not to. You should not. You should not. He, he also does uh, Hotel Hell, which is similar. It's with hotels, <laughs> and he he seems like he you know he's a pretty smart guy. It seems like. I feel like every episode, he seems like a guy who probably wants to do a little less coke than he does. He's very, very <laughs> animated. Um, yeah, kind of a hair trigger. But, you know, it's what it's formulaic, uh, you know, comfort food. How would we get the kids to Australia? Would it be by, uh, like, a ship? Or how would that, how would that work? Well. I, I, I see, some of my friend John Roderick and I have talked about is how useful it would be, like, instead, in lieu of, like, middle school you send kids out to work in a national park for like three years because just to first of all get them away from us get them out of society and get them somewhere where they can really be exhausted they'd have to make their own clothes from things that they find while they're working during the day you know it would be kind of like what it'd be like uh you know hunger games meets lord of the flies which is i guess already kind of lord of the flies but uh yeah be good for everybody. Be good for them. You, you become strong. You get a tan. You learn how to make a bunk bed. Maybe what we could do instead, <laughs> that those are all good, very good ideas. What we could do instead is maybe maybe pick one of the states here in the U.S. and make it a no no children state, and <laughs> then we'd have subsidies so all the children who are already sort there, of like a smoking area in uh, in restaurants. Exactly, exactly what I'm thinking. But we'll do the whole state. We'll, we'll have some kind of subsidy system set up so that everybody who already has children, you know, will be able to move somewhere uh, nice. <laughs> and then we'll let's just see what happens to the remaining adults in that state, how how frequently they, they get the cold or flu. And I'll bet that they don't get it at all. Plus, they can afford to retire. Except for the ones. And then and then we'd, we'd have to have something in place for, uh, uh, you know, what do you, what do you call it when you – quarantine. A quarantine for anybody who, who – leaves and goes to like say disney world or something like that you'd have to oh have, i see they'd have to pass through a zone where we yeah. make sure that they haven't brought any kid germs with them yeah oh that's pretty good i think a lot of people would love that based on the glares that we get when we eat out i think a lot of people would be happy with that state <laughs> yeah maybe there could be a state just for people who who don't want to be around kids or have kids or just even know kids exist and then there could be well, I guess technically it would be uh, San Francisco's Noe Valley. It would be a place that's dedicated just to people who are way too into their kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? It yeah. would be like it would be like the like the first time you go to like a parents' meeting for a school, and you're like, "Ugh, yikes!" <laughs> just you're like, "I'm really glad I'm not any of the people who are here. I don't like the way anybody here is raising their kids." <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Marie, Tyler Marie. Have you done your Mandarin? <laughs> shut up. Just shut up. What percentage of children today are named Skylar? Oh, Skylar. You got Skylar and you got Tyler. Uh, I, I think Skylar might have been hot a while back. There's a lot of Annabellas. We get a lot of what do you what do you get there? I've like, lost I just, track. I used to keep track. That was a it was a it was a real thing of mine when Jonah started school, and I've I've since lost track. When you and the worst part is, I could really see Amy doing this. The problem for is me, like I start, I start, I have a, a an explosion of, of laughter before I even have a second to realize how how awful it is to laugh at a child's name. <laughs> I'll just go. Bah! <laughs> I feel so bad. Anastasia helicopter. Or like um, my uh, daughter has a, a friend whose little sister is named Daenerys, and I can't decide. It's kind of a super cool name. It's kind of pretty weird. 
But it's it's cool. Like Daenerys, that's a cool name. It's a what is that? What's that? Game of uh, Houses, House Game of, Games, of Thrones, House Game of, of Cards. Yeah, exactly. It's from that show. It's the light lady with the dragons. No spoilers. That's kind of a cool name. But now she's got a, like a Welsh name. She's got to spell to people for the rest of her life. I don't know. You try. You see, the thing is, everybody suffers from this because you try and get ahead of it. I bet this happened to you when we picked our kid's name. It was not like a super popular name, and it seemed like. This is one of those John Syracuse things where, like, you think you're doing this thing outside of the culture and the evolution, and then, like, a year later, every, your kid has the same name as everybody. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, now they're naming tropical st- or winter storms after, after my kid. That's, that just a, that's so embarrassing. You, should, you know, if they've got, like, stuff like T-shirts, you should buy them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just oh. sorry about his party. That's such a bummer. <laughs> we... You know what Amy likes to do? I'll tell you, she is happy as a pig on a poke today. What she likes to do, she this is like a holiday for her, is that she likes to watch when there's a, a big snowstorm coming, and they know it's coming. She likes to watch the local news. Oh, yeah. Because the local news... Oh, this oh. is... Boy, this is they've been waiting all year for this day. Maybe a few years for this day. <laughs> there's a local Philadelphia <laughs> news channel, and they had a live report... She called me in to see it. She rerounded on the TiVo. She's like, you have to see this right before we started recording. They had a live report from a hardware store in Virginia that was rationing shovels and and uh, salt. Because some people wanted to buy 10 shovels. Yeah, exactly. Now that is panic. Two shovels per customer limit. What if I break five of these? <laughs> That's really, really odd. There's so many odd things about that. Why why Virginia? Right. Why that problem? Why report it? It's just like what what were the stories that they rejected to decide that that was the right one to show in Philadelphia? I don't know. I sent you the link here. I'm looking at the page. I, I don't know if this is still this is your old address, maybe, but uh, I sent you the link there to a forecast. So uh, right now you got oh God, you got 21 to 28 Fahrenheit today. Five to eight inches of snow starting in the evening. Tomorrow, those that tomorrow's the big day, right? Yeah, tomorrow's supposed to be the the big. Day. Says here Saturday, you get twelve to eighteen inches throughout the day and windy until evening. Is that is that right? You're gonna you might get like a foot and a half of snow. That's what they're saying, and it, honestly, it, what makes me think it's gonna be bad is that it's actually it's gone up. Like usually, they give you the worst, you know, like forty eight, seventy two hours in advance. They make a, de- a terrible prediction. To to get everybody, you know, uh, to to get everybody hysterical. Well, to, yeah, to get their attention, and then it gets closer and closer, and then they dial it down. This one, it was like they were talking about like eight to ten inches a couple, like a day or two ago. Now they're talking, jeez, uh, look at that. What it would that would be what like seventeen to twenty three inches total. Oh my god! Uh, of all the things that we've benefited from with cord cutting, one of my favorites is we just don't get local news anymore. We don't watch it ordinarily, but when we do, right. it... Doesn't it feel like culture shock? Yeah, it really does. And it's not so much that it's changed, it's just that it's no longer it can, seems normal to me, and so that the way that they handle stories, whether it's like this or whether it's just like an average day, it you know the stuff that they decide to highlight and the way that they do it really... It really stands out. And the way that I feel like in, in some ways it has not, the actual format and style of local TV news, like evening you know, and nighttime news, has not changed that much since I was a kid, but it's changed enough in a couple ways. I mean, there's, I don't know how this started, but whenever it became the tradition to have like top of the hour news, 
you got news, sports, and weather. And you always put weather. Is that still the case? Isn't yep. that still how they do it? Oh, yeah. And you put weather last because you want people to watch. All they're really there for is to find out whether to wear a coat tomorrow or what coat to wear, <laughs> But they, right? give you, they give you just a tease in the first 30 seconds. That's like, right. Yeah, exactly. What, so There's some surprising weather news that you have gotta, you've got to wait for this. <laughs> Every day. Every single day, 365 days a year, there is some surprising and important weather-related news, and Kathy is going to tell you about it later in the broadcast. <laughs> Coming up right after Magnum P.I. Yeah. Oh. Are oh. deadly fecal bacteria living on your doorknob? Right. will tell us after. Like, yeah. in the first three minutes of the broadcast, Kathy will come on, and all she's going to say is... Jim, just wait until you hear this. You're not going to fucking believe this. <laughs> oh, my God. This is, we better wait, though. Let's get a couple of, let's talk about this apartment fire first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the way the way I feel like it has changed is it like, as much as it felt very glossy when I was a kid in the 1970s, oh, my goodness, everything, the, the motion graphics, everything, so much glossier now. And it just really seems like they've gotten it down to a science where it's extremely professional chipper people reporting horrible, horrible things, like horrible, dangerous things. We're like, I mean, I'm far from the first person to say this, but I'm always struck when I watch it that so much more about American culture and society makes sense to me when I watch local news. Because I think like, wow, if if you really did watch this as your, one of your primary sources of information about the world, I'd be losing my mind too. I'd be like, I'd be stocking up on guns and snow shovels as well. (laughs) It's like, you just, you really feel like, like people, like everybody is getting killed. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody, everybody's getting killed or they're dying from something they can't prevent. I, I think it's why I've said this to Amy before. Like most of our family lives within an hour of Philadelphia, um, overwhelming majority of our family. And no, nobody ever wants to come see us here. And I, I think it's because of TV news, because they think if you travel to, in the city, you're either going to get shot or the building you're in is going to catch fire. Catch on fire. <laughs> you're going to get, get in one of those uh, increasingly all too common fire stabbings that they have in, uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah, I don't know. Gosh, I hope it goes okay now. Like who's you now? Like uh, down where Casey Liss is, down there in the Virginia, they're they're getting it even worse, right? Oh yeah, that's like the, the the epicenter. <laughs> yeah, that's the epicenter. And DC, yeah, the whole the whole uh, what do they call it down there? Beltway. Sure. Yeah. The, I'll tell you uh, what. Yeah. I got to point this out about the TV news bef- mm-hmm. before we move off it. I got the thing that strikes me when I watch it now, and I grew up with it, and they certainly did the same thing back then. But I just accepted it as that's how you do TV news is the way that the correspondents, you know, there's an anchor person at the desk. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's a man and a woman. But, you know, there's, you know, an anchor person or two at a desk in the studio who lead the broadcast and introduce every story. And then they go to a correspondent. And no matter what the story is, no matter matter what sense it makes, the correspondent needs to be outdoors somewhere in in the TV broadcast area. And it right. doesn't matter what the story is. They could just be on <laughs> some random street corner, but they well, have they'll to be, be. They'll be reporting. They'll be, for example, they might be doing something about like a Federal Reserve report for that matter. But right. they've got to be outside somewhere, like outside of Walmart in order to like deliver that. Yeah. And, then they, and then they absolutely positively must find someone walking by who will stop and talk to them for 10 seconds about the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I, yeah, it's, there's, um, I think increasingly it, 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 you've got to have at least two or three people 
And I think that the way, one way that becomes so addictive to watch is there's always something happening. There's always another transition coming. There's always another thing you're looking forward to happening. You're teasing the next thing. You throw to the other person. The motion graphic goes on. There's just like, you know, like when I watch CNN, to me, it feels like a demo reel for like a motion graphic company. It doesn't feel like there's really anything very substantial to learn. You could get it down to three bullets, basically, what half an hour of CNN does. But I think the, the style of it is very engrossing to people. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let me take a break here and tell you about our good friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is an online backup for your Mac. They have over 150 petabytes of data backed up. A few months ago, they told me how much a petabyte is, and it, it doesn't even matter. It's ridiculous. Go look it up on Wikipedia if you want, but it's ridiculous. It, it's an enormous amount of data that they have backed up. They have restored over 10 billion files for their customers. Now, I've been telling you about Backblaze forever. It could not be more simple. Here's how it works. You download their software. You install it on your Mac. It, it, your interface to it is just a system preferences panel. You don't have to touch anything. You just create an account, and you can create this account for uh, the, the free demo period with, without any credit card or anything. You create an account, and then it just uploads all of your stuff to their servers in the cloud. And that's it. You don't have to do anything. Now, it might take a while. I actually just added to my to my desktop Mac here, uh, an external storage drive where I keep uh, all my old uh, movies and video files and stuff like that. Um, I think it has like a terabyte of data on it. And I, I don't have a very good connection. It took like two weeks for this thing to, to, to upload. Uh, yeah, the, the first one, the first one took me, I think over a month, but, but after that it's all incremental and it's, it's just, it just goes. It, it took like two weeks, but now I've got this whole terabyte drive backed up to the cloud in addition to all my regular stuff, which has been backed up on Backblaze for a long time. There is no limit. They don't have any limit. If you have a four terabyte uh, drive, you can just uh, upload that. It might take a while. Maybe you have fast uh, internet. Maybe it won't take a while. It doesn't Check matter. Out, can I jump in to make a suggestion here? Yeah. Because I love this product. I sent you a link right now. Don't run this test right now, but go to this. If y'all are out there, go to backblaze.com slash speed test, and they will tell you a little bit about how the throttling works. Throttling, you can choose to have automatic or manual throttling. So if you want to not have it be disruptive to what you're doing on your local network, you can tell it that. You can say do that automatically. You can do it, or you could just say open this sucker all the way up because I really want this stuff to get to the cloud. The reason I mention this, you go to this page, and it will run a speed test on your connection and let you know exactly how much stuff you will be able to upload per day. So you get an idea how long it will actually take. You, you won't be wondering, like, when will this be done? They make that easy for you. And if you, if you can afford to leave that thing wide open and you don't get dinged by your provider, by, by Cable Town, that stuff will just it'll flow straight into the cloud. I think that Cable Town dinged me when I was uploading that terabyte drive. Did they give I you do. the slowdown? Uh, yeah, I think they did. But it's hard for me to tell because the cable towns always ding me. Anyway, the back, the back blaze, it works great. That's it. That's it. You just install this thing. You create an account, and then your stuff is there in the cloud. And and if you ever need it, you can get all of your stuff put on a USB drive, and they will, uh, you know, ship it by UPS or FedEx or something like that if a catastrophe hits. But most of the time, when people restore stuff from from Backblaze, it's just like one file at a time. If you just need that one file and you're away from your computer, you can use their iOS app from your phone to get to any of the files that you have backed up in Backblaze. Get that file and send an email to whoever you want to send it to right there from your phone, right there. It, it is such a relief. That's This is the thing I always emphasize with Backblaze, is when you know that everything you have is backed up in some other way in addition to whatever else you're doing locally in your office, you know, like with Super Duper clones or whatever else you might be doing, to know that you've got your stuff backed up in the cloud off 
with somebody you can trust. It's such a relief. It really is. I can't recommend them highly enough. Where do you go to find out more if you haven't signed up already? Which I can't believe that there are still listeners of this show who haven't. Sh- but shame on them, are. John. Shame on them. Shame on them. Uh, it, it, this is a sponsor who I would like to get rid of. I would like to get rid of by having everybody who listens to this show sign up and, and use them. And then Backblaze would say, this is great. We love the response. But now nobody else is signing up because we've we, everybody's already signed up. And that would make me feel great because mm-hmm. it would make me feel good to know that everybody out there, you guys are backing up to somewhere in the cloud. Go here. Get a no credit card required trial. Go to backblaze.com slash Daring Fireball. That's all you have to do. Backblaze.com slash Daring Fireball. I think years Good ago, sponsor. I think I mispronounced it. I think I, I, I said years ago on, on uh, Backblaze Read, I called him Black Blackblaze or something. Blackblaze. And they went and registered the domain. <laughs> Black Bay. Black. Yeah. That, hmm. I, That's interesting. Let me see if they've still got it. No, nope, not Black Bay's. Maybe Black Blaze. Something mispronounced. Sounds kind of dirty. Yeah, it does. A little bit. Oh, yep. Go to Black Blaze. Go to BlackBlaze.com. <laughs> I love that. Do it. Go go to BlackBlaze.com. And I, I believe that they registered it because of a mispronunciation that oh I did God. on their show. Oh, yeah, totally redirects. That's great. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so, so my great. thanks to Black Blaze. Black Blaze. <laughs> for doing that's the, the evil. That's the evil twin of Black Blaze. It's the one that's got the handlebar mustache. Yeah, it looks exactly. otherwise identical. Jet bla- a jet black handlebar mustache. A little... <laughs> <clears throat> now I'm looking. I Googled snow on the internet and, uh, and went to the news section. A lot of pictures of empty grocery uh, <laughs> shelves and people in line waiting to buy things. Here's the thing. I under, I've said this before in years past. Uh, I understand the need to stock up on groceries. We've done it. We've already gone and we've bought some some staples we're, you know, to make sure that we've got not just food to eat, but maybe you know, actually you know, meals that we are, have in the house ready to prepare. Sure, and some, some 1.75 liter sized bottles. But it still boggles my mind the way that there are certain staples that literally sell out. Like I, I would guarantee you <laughs> that when we finish recording this show today, if I go yep. to to the the Acme down the street, uh, that no I bread. Would, There's gonna be no bread. No bread. <laughs> no bread. Because all because you know when you're really really getting attacked by snow, you're you're, you're gonna want to have some bread. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we're out of bread. But ordinarily, there's so much bread in that supermarket that there's so much bread. It's like a, it's ridiculous. You don't realize how big that section is until it's been totally cleared out during a snowstorm, right? And it's when it's cleared out, you realize that all the weird bread is gone too. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of dark bread only like your older relatives like. Right? <laughs> right Why is stuff. your bread so dark? Stuff with weird seeds that you don't even I, know with what the it weird is. seeds. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness! It's all uh, gone. We make we make light, but I, you know, this that's probably well. This this won't come out until uh, the damage is done, right? Uh, <laughs> we should probably watch our ass. It, well, it might come out. It'll probably come out tomorrow. Oh, good. Oh, it wow. could come it out could. later today. Could come out later today. You never know. That won't happen. Oh God! I don't know. No. I, what else do people buy? They buy eggs. That's another one too. Where it's good to have eggs in the house. I enjoy eggs. I don't. Know, I feel like maybe there was like some brochure that went around in like from the fifties to the seventies. It's the same shit everybody buys. You buy canned soup. You buy bread. 
right? You got to have non-perishable items, right? You got to have things that you could make over the hot plate that you don't actually own. There's all the things that you would need, but you go into this lizard brain thing where you just click and your brain goes into buy stuff at the grocery store mode. And and then, of course, it's like the stock market. It's just like trading places. You go in there and you see everybody freaking out and that makes you freak out. I think that's exactly it. It's I think that maybe you go in there and you think, well, I want to get bread because I'm supposed uh, to get go, bread. I'll go, hey, I'll just go pick, pick up and, a loaf of bread. Oh my God! <laughs> and you see that the guy next to you is taking two loaves of bread and you, you think, I your, better, I better you're get... You're punching some lady in the neck because she's touching your butter top. Right. And then you, all of a sudden, you're buying three loaves of Wonder Bread. <laughs> I've never bought this before in your life. But you feel like if you don't buy these three loaves of Wonder Bread, you won't be able to get it an hour from now. Yeah, like it seems like you should probably buy crappier stuff than you normally buy because maybe it'll last longer. Like, don't get the Progresso. Like, get the generic brand soup. Make the, that'll that'll be better when you go into your theoretical bunker. You know, bring that along. Right. That's yeah, these, this, they're showing shelves here that are that have been totally wiped clean of all lettuce. So maybe this is a big salad event. Maybe you have a, like a lock in and you you make some Caesar salad. You guys, you don't get snow in San Francisco. No, you I guys think get got, a lot of weird weather, but snow is snow is not something you guys have to deal with. We get uh, <clears throat> our climate. It's our it's not our weather. It's our climate. Our climate is very unconventional. And the short version is, as you probably know, is that. We have, uh, because of our proximity to, you know, what is called the Golden Gate, like we, we, San Francisco sits astride a big hole in California. And so basically the cold air over the ocean, there's a cold air over the ocean and there's the very hot air over the basin, like where they grow a lot of the vegetables. And that causes some very strange things. For one thing, our air is incredibly clean because it's basically being washed every day. It's being moved out and in every day. But it also means stuff like, you know, you might start out at a certain temperature in the morning and then it gets colder, (laughs) Then it gets warmer for an hour from three to four, and then it plummets again at night. And explains stuff like why we have it's cold in the winter in the uh, in the summer. It's cold here. It's warm in October, and then it rains for most of mm, late December, January, February. My favorite evergreen WWDC joke. WWDC is almost always held June. in June. Yeah. Is you know, hey, first timers, it's <laughs> it's sunny California. Don't bother taking a jacket or jeans. Yeah, you know, German tourists. It's 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 just evergreen source of humor. They the those poor bastards to go. I'm going to Das California, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be like fifty every day. Well, they used to Ooh. give out backpacks. That was for attendees. They'd give out backpacks or or laptop bags of some sort, and you know, embroidered with WWDC and then the two digits of the year. And right. then, like three or four years ago, they started giving out jackets. Uh, and they've done jackets ever since. And I asked somebody at Apple once, is that because so many people, you know, and you see people wearing them. Is it because so many people come and they're, they need them? And they're like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And that people, you know, attendees come up and they say, like, I can't do the German accent, but <laughs> the German accent. Mein Gott und Himmel. Thank you for this jacket. I'd be dead without it. Danke. Yeah. You, you ever go up to, um, to Twin Peaks? No. Uh, it's really you should do it sometime. It's pretty cool. There's not that many things I recommend about San Francisco, um, but uh, you drive up in in near the somewhat near the geographical center of town, basically at the end of Market Street. So Market Street begins at the Embarcadero, the ferry building. There's the part of Market Street you're familiar with by Moscone, right. and then if you go all the way to the end of Market Street, the, essentially it it mostly ends it ends at the Castro, and then you'll see this big mountain. And so anyway, you go up this big hill to get to my neighborhood, and Twin Peaks are these two big mountains in the middle of San Francisco. And it's where that big tower is, that the robot-looking t- tower you see. Mm. Um, 
but if you go up there, man, you and it's clear, you get this amazing view of the city. It's just, it's really, really beautiful. One of the very few actually nice things in San Francisco. But of course, you go up a mountain in San Francisco (laughs) and it's like, it's, you know, 10 to 20 degrees colder than it was where you were. Plus it's incredibly windy. So you just see these little, these little ladies up there just like selling sweatshirts. They just, (laughs) they go up there at eight in the morning and they just sell sweatshirts all day long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to see that view from the, the Twin Peaks. I I feel like I probably uh, maybe even a majority of the people who listen to my show have been to San Francisco at least once. I mean, I feel like it's you know it's probably an awful lot. I know that an awful lot of people who read my stuff and listen to it or you know work out there and you know if you work anywhere even vaguely Northern California, of course you've been to San Francisco. But for you know, there's probably a lot of people who you know just have never had reason to go. Uh, I feel like you can hear these stories about how the weather in San Francisco is incredibly isolated you know from the area around it but you just can't well, yeah like you, you walk around within two blocks yeah it could change you know basically be a different climate right for, why for is, reasons that are very unclear why is it cold here <laughs> i'm only i've just moved i've just gone from union square down to you know how is down. the wind blowing from both directions <laughs> <laughs> like all of a sudden you're down by what are they called at&t park wherever the giants play yeah it's, sure sure it's 15 degrees colder i know i know it's bananas all right yeah, mm. but you well, guys I, don't. Get I, I hope it all goes. I hope it all goes well for you. You know, God bless you. I yeah. hope. I hope it's. I hope it's. Uh, it's fun. Now, now, do you, do you face? I don't want to make this the whole show, but I mean, like, do you face much in the way like of damage? Like when I was in Florida, and there's a hurricane coming. There's all kinds of stuff you got to do. Depend all the way from tape up the windows to like board over the windows. Like, do you have to do any special preparation no. when you know a big snow is coming? No, no, except stock up on bread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's you know, there's you know what we we as a family have it very easy, and I understand. Again, this is just it's just like kids getting sick. Uh, if you have a job or you've got a, it's important that you be there. It, it snowstorm is a, an enormous pain in the ass, uh, right. and the fact that it's coming on a weekend could be good news for a lot of people. But there's still some people who have jobs that it's essential that they be there. Huge pain in the ass. Well, I guess where my office is, it's right downstairs. Yeah. So the fact that we can easily and and work wise, you know, a snowstorm is often indistinguishable from a normal day for us. It's actually kind of nice. You're you're very you're very fortunate. Um, in any other generation, the idea of having your bedroom your office and your bar be essentially the same room you know that's powerful right you got everything you need right there you know what you're like your own personal food court everything you need is right there yeah no i like it and and sometimes it's really it's just so nice in the city to have the big snow come and have very few cars on the road and it's you can go out right and before the snow turns all gray and black from the cars that eventually get back on the road everything looks beautiful and it's quiet it is quiet in a way that you can't believe that the city could ever be this quiet. Because in addition to the fact that there's no or very few cars on the road, the snow is like a, what would you call it? A, a sound dampening soft substance. It absorbs. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's hard to even describe that sound. But it's even when I live in the suburbs in Ohio, it's, it's a very special winter feeling to go outside. And it's very, it's very crisp. It's very quiet. And it's, it's very still. It just feels like everything has slowed down. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, it's very vivid in my mind. It was Michael Lopp, my friend Michael Lopp of Rands and Repose was in town for uh, a conference of some sort or somebody had paid him for a sp- It was like a paid speaking kit. I don't know if it was a conference or a corporate thing, but he was in town uh, and a huge snowstorm hit. One of these, you know, at least a foot of snow type things. Uh, and we went out to dinner, just the two of us. Um, and 
there was nobody on the street and you know steakhouse was open and there was only like one other table that was taken only like two or three waiters were on shift and we asked the waiter you know like hey was this like a huge pain in the ass he was like ah, i live in the city what else am i gonna do tonight i don't care so we, it was like empty steakhouse uh, super quiet great meal and i feel like it's because like whoever was in the kitchen it was like well what are we you know we've only, we're only cooking like three things we might as well make it perfect great meal and then we just went out and just walked back to his hotel and then i walked home and it was it was like we were the only two people in the whole city of philadelphia it was wow. amazing it was like you can't make that up oh that's such a great feeling yeah you know something that syracuse and i have ended up talking about on uh, the show that we do is i i'm i'm always interested in what i would call like seam exposing events right and like the kinds of things where you don't realize how fragile something is until some complexity or difficulties introduced, and that's when the seams get exposed. And that's the thing I feel bad about with a city is if you look at a city like, uh, you know, like a city like Atlanta, which is already so on the edge in terms of you know, I think it has something like the you know in the aggregate the most commuted miles per day. Oh, without question, like. yeah. There it's, was there was a New Yorker story about it a few years ago. It's ridiculous. People, drive. I mean, it's it's actually it's actually shockingly bad in its yeah. scale and the amount of time. Right? I mean, it's pretty bad. Most people commute like an hour or something like that. Yeah. Is that right? It's something like that. Uh, something like that. But then you introduce rain, or God forbid, you introduce snow to that, where even the smallest bit of snow, like they don't, they, there's not many accommodations that the city of Atlanta can make for snow. And that's the part where it starts to feel like they, like they say the apocalypse, you know? Or you think about so many places, like what happens in California when it rains a lot? This happens everywhere. Like the first time it rains after it hasn't rained for a long time, there's all this oil. And, you know, various detritus, like just sitting there um, on the streets. And so once you start, you know, zooming around on there, that water basically, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but like that makes the roads very slippery. Or the, the drains, uh, you know, the, the ground can't absorb all the water because it's been so dry. It's just, I don't know. I, uh, that's why I always brace for the first big snow or the first big you know, rainstorm. Yeah. I was like, will, you know, can, can we take this? You know? I was talking to uh, Dan Fromer about it on this show Ooh, was that last, last, that last time? Last it was a good episode. About yeah. and at Vegas when it rains, that the cars are terrible. People don't know how to drive, and a couple of Vegas residents said it's you know. In addition to the fact that people here don't really know how to drive with wet roads, it really is actually worse than typical wet roads because we get so little rain that there is like a coating of oil on the on the on the what do you call it the tarmac. For somebody who claims to like CES, wow, he. <laughs> He really, I feel like I every impulse I've ever had to go to CES, I'm really glad I didn't listen. That sounds so awful. I think sounds you like and I, he, he you and I it, should like, go together. It sounds like he's you're committed for next year. You think we should oh. go and do some reporting from there? <laughs> well, I think we should. I think that I think that within <laughs> a couple of weeks, I'll just file that away and do another. If you, if, do yeah, another yeah. show next year where I say oh, I'll go next year. Well, knowing your record with this, I'll I'll, I'll make you this this mostly promise. Uh, I'll go if you go. But I don't think you're going to go, so I'm not worried. I don't want to go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that, that description of, like, the shuttle buses, like, how long it took to go somewhere in a shuttle bus. Like, I walk everywhere in Las Vegas. I can't imagine driving. Right. If it's anywhere on the strip, you walk there. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens? You, you get an alcoholic beverage and walk. <laughs> it's not hard. But, like, oh, my God. And imagine all of those people who are like us being there at the same time, how miserable that would be. Oh, yeah, that's part of it. I remember one time I was in Vegas, and it was just by coincidence at the end of some massive convention. You know, I don't even know what it was, but it was it must have been, like, CES-sized or close thereabouts. And um, I, I, we were, like, 
waiting for a cab somewhere and it was like taking forever and we're like, ah, screw it, we'll just walk. And then it somehow came up that like we we heard it that they said that at the at the Venetian that there was a three three hour wait for cabs. <laughs> a three hour wait for cabs. Because it was the end of this massive convention and oh, everybody was the leaving. Yeah, but think about that. Like who leaves for the airport three hours in advance? Nobody. So in other words, when they tell you it's a three hour wait to get to the airport, that means you're miss <sighs> you're missing your flight. Oh no! And that's a that's a thing you can't walk to. You can't walk no. to the airport. And that, the thing is, that airport is not that big. It's, no. it, in other words, it could it doesn't have that much tolerance for needing to expand at a right. time. But so, it, like, there are times when when Vegas is you know as much as they can support truly massive conventions, conferences, whatever you want to call it, there are times when it still is you know ten pounds of shit in a five pound bag. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's interesting if you think about, you know, I don't know, it, it's an interesting kind of uh, planned community in some ways, because there seems to be, even as much as, as Las Vegas has pivoted toward more or less family friendly or more up or down scale, there's still, everybody's still mostly been marching in the same direction with Las Vegas since, what, the 40s, right? I mean, the, the basic idea of what Las Vegas is for has not changed that much. And I have to imagine, like, the infrastructure to support that, it mainly needs to grow and get bigger, but does it need to change that much? Right. You're always going to need prime rib, shrimp, liquor, and, and chips. <laughs> well, I, part of the it's problem— It's not like you're suddenly going to need, like, like, you know, I guess, you know, you get live animals occasionally. Like, if a white tiger dies, you get a fresh one. But, like, other than that, I mean, it's got to be a pretty steady supply train for making that place run. Part, and I, I bet it's pretty easily disruptible. Part of the problem is that they, they have a monorail that goes up and down the strip, but it's terrible. And Dan, Dan was saying on the show that at one point it was like an hour-long hour wait to get on the monorail. But the, uh, the monorail is is terribly, terribly located. It's, like, way behind the strip. Uh, I remember the first time I tried to take it, it was like, this is great. We'll get out of these expensive cab rides. We'll take the monorail down. And then there are like these signs like monorail this way. And you start, you go through the casino and they're like, you know, keep looking for signs that say where the monorail is. And it's like, oh yeah, keep going, keep going, <laughs> keep going. Now you're going through the employee parking lot and it's monorail this way. And you're like, wait a monorail. minute. Monorail. <laughs> and then it, you still get to get there and find out it's an hour wait. It's ridiculous. Oh. But really, I mean, the big, one of the big problems with Vegas is that they really are in desperate need of some public transportation just and, and it wouldn't be that complicated really just up and down the strip uh and they don't have it i've I've often thought what do you do if you're you're staying at the venetian your conference is over you have a three o'clock flight and it's one in the afternoon and you think you're doing a responsible thing by leaving two hours it's not far if you once you're in a cab no it's, it's like as soon as you pull out from the airport you can already see the strip like yeah it, it feels very very close like anything in a desert it's kind of difficult to tell how far away something is yeah traffic permitting it's usually you know 10 or 15 minute cab ride so it's two hours in advance and then they tell you it's going to be three hours until you get a cab what do you do oh my, oh my god what do you do uh, you know, in, in another time, you know, even probably 20 years ago, I would say you call up the airline and try to reschedule it and pay what used to be, I'm going to say, a $75 fee, something like that. It used to be that flights were more expensive, but you could do more with them. I think nowadays, almost everybody buys, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but you know, like nowadays, almost everybody buys refundable or uh, non-refundable tickets, right. right? You always buy like the least expensive thing. But like, you know, certainly back when my dad was flying, back when there were three different classes on every plane and, you know, you'd... They were costly, but you could do a lot more with them. I feel like even 20 years ago, most airlines for 75, 100 bucks, you could change your flight. I don't know what you do in that case. 
Because it, it's sort of a can't get there from here situation. What are you going to do? You're going to hire a hire a local car? I mean, well, what are the, you going to do? The local, the local, they're not local. The uh, modern day thing, the thing that you can do now is that you have a cell phone where maybe you can start stabbing your finger at your airline's website and see if there's something you can do right there, right now. Yeah. You, you know, you could just do it right now. The other thing I thought you could do is if you're in that situation is take your suitcase or suitcases and schlep them. Not to the airport, but maybe see if you can walk across the street to a different hotel and see if you can get a cab there. But my thought would be, wait, if there's a big line here, there's probably going to be a big line at every hotel that is nearby because the nearby ones are the same ones that the same people have been at. Yeah, that's that's one of those things. uh, I'm so interested in these sorts of things. Something that feels like a cause but is actually an effect. Like in that instance, the fact that there's a lineup for cabs is not the source of the problem. It's the result of the problem. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it could just be that everybody's trying to get a cab right now. So, let's see here. <clears throat> you stay at the Wynn, is that right? Well, usually. Okay, I'm just trying to look here. So, yeah, my God, look at that. So, you can see, like, Mandalay Bay and Luxor practically from the airport. Yeah. Yeah. It looks so close. Ooh, the Mob Museum. Wow. Sorry, I got the sneezes. <laughs> You Trump might have caught. You might have caught something from me here on this. You, I. You know what? I wasn't going to say anything, but I was feeling fine when I got on this call. I, <laughs> I even washed my hands. <laughs> Win Las Win Las Vegas. Is that what you stay at? Yeah, that's where I usually stay. Okay, then you got the Palazzo, the Venetian, the Mirage, Treasure Island. There's the Flamingo. Okay, and that's that big corner. So that's the corner of Las Vegas and Flamingo. Is that big corner? All right. Every time my daughter uh, took her first step at the Bellagio. I think I told you that story. I don't. Want I think to you did. <laughs> yeah, I was doing a talk <clears throat> to the uh, senior management at the founder of Cirque du Soleil's very purple house in Las Vegas. Well, I <laughs> got a call from my wife that in our room at the Bellagio, uh, our, our, our exactly one-year-old daughter had taken her first step. Oh, by the way, that I mentioned it was her first birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Cover your nose, honey. We have to get through the ca- casino to get to our room. <laughs> I feel like, depending on how her life turns out, they. Could either That's just be <laughs> an amusing anecdote. <laughs> How many therapists will have to hear that story over right. the years? Oh. It's either going to be a very amusing anecdote, like, wow, that's quite a story, or it's going to be, well, of In course. An David. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it all started out as, it was so simple. It seemed like such a joke. <laughs> oh, what else is going on? Well, what I could it? take... I could take another break and thank. Yeah, tell me about something you friends. like, John. I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a seltzer and wash my hands. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about our good friends at MailRoute. Uh, these guys are experts on email. IT ex- ex- departments are expected to do more every year, but they're supposed to do it with less money uh, because budgets are going down. Nobody's spending money on this stuff anymore. Everybody expects a lot of stuff to be lower cost, whatever. Here's something you could take off your hands if you're in an IT department in charge of stuff. You could take off handling worrying about uh spam and email virus and you know sketchy attachments stuff like that use mail route instead uh here's how it works it is a simple service it doesn't host your email they're not asking you to move your email to trust them with with storing your email all you do is you change your mx records for your mail domain to point to them first your email goes through them, and then MailRoute forwards it on to the mail servers you already have. 
So nothing changes, nothing moves. You don't have to ask all of your users to go into their mail clients and and change all of their you know settings and everything like that. To the users of the mail, everything stays the same because they still connect to the same servers with the same account. But because the mail goes through mail routes filters first before it gets to your servers, all the spam is gone. All this email with junk attachments and stuff like that, it's all gone. Uh, it, it couldn't be more simple. Couldn't... Uh, it couldn't work easier. And it's really, really accurate. I mean, this stuff is as as accurate of a spam filtering as I've ever seen. Uh, and you get access to, you can have things mailed to you. You can have like a report mailed to you uh, or to any of the users on the domain with like, hey, here's uh, the, the, you know, here's what we did for the last week. Here's the bunch of maybe emails that we flagged as spam. Take a look at them, and if any of them are incorrect, here, just click this, and we'll send it right through to your mailbox, and we'll remember it in the future so that it won't be incorrectly flagged again. Uh, Really, really great service. Takes an enormous problem off your hands, and it gives you the flexibility to host your mail the way you want it, how you want it, without worrying about how your mail server deals with spam, because they just take it right out. What do you, where do you go to find out more? Go to their domain. Here it is. It's mailroute.net slash TTS. Mailroute.net slash TTS. The initials of the show, the talk show slash TTS. Or if you want to, you can even email them and ask questions. Uh, just email them at sales at mailroute.net. If you have questions before you sign up, uh, you get a 30-day free trial. So you can try it for 30 days without spending a, a dime. And if you use that uh, URL, mailroute.net slash TTS, you get 10% off for the lifetime of the account. So if you use it for 20 years, you'll save 10% for the whole time. Couldn't be a better deal. Uh, So go to mailroute.net slash TTS and uh, get rid of email uh, spam and viruses. I've heard some... um more than one success story. Uh, Actually, Dan Benjamin was just talking about this, but I've heard lots of people say this, where they've had a domain... Where, what, 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, they were like, you know what, uh, this one is out there. Like, my, there is just too much spam at every conceivable user at this. I will never get this back. You know, God bless it, Gmail couldn't help this, and you're done. And I've heard people go in and attach MailRoute to that domain, and, like, it's like a miracle. It's like something from an infomercial, where actually that suddenly they've got that domain back. It's so good at getting the spam with a scalpel that you get your own domain back. And uh, like, what, what more can you say? I used to talk about the, the some of the techniques that MailRoute uses. Uh, I feel like they, it's like, so it's not even worth it anymore. Like this, it's their, their problem to worry about the details of how they do it, but it is, it's amazing. Surgical is a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't hear about Dan Benjamin on this show as much as you used to. Is that right? Yeah. It on, this, on, this partic- on this particular show? Yeah. On the talk show. You mean like, for example, like when he was the co-host? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, technically, this is this is Mark Three yeah. of the, how, how do you refer to? First of all, for anybody who's listening in, it's the talk show, right? Right. We should we should be clear about that, right? I always uh, yeah, it's clearly Mark Three, and this is Mark Three. Yeah. Hmm. You ever think about the future of the talk show? What Mark Four would look like? Would you bring Jonas on? Maybe. Hmm. It's it's kind of the same show. The the the, the, the the biggest change in the talk show, well, obviously when you you and Dan weren't doing it together anymore, it was quite different. But like you know, I like like for example, Lonely Sandwich loved the original version of the talk show that you two did. I could never get into it. I could never get into it. It was when you and Dan were doing it that I really liked it. 
but uh, yeah, yeah. What do you like when you think about that? That must seem pretty weird. That's a lot of change over time. Uh, it does. It's it's weird for me because it never it it, it creeped up on me as a as a serious part of my. Uh, I don't know. We don't want to call it business income. You know, it, it's you your, know your job. Yeah, it's, it's part it, of your job now. It always seemed like I was a guy who wrote a website, or what I even at the point when like the first incarnation. I mean, what were the dates on that? The first incarnation, you could still see it. Uh, what is it? The talkshow dot net. Huh. So those are the first. You guys had done it for a while. Wow! Look at that. No so, way, 2007, huh? Yeah, so that goes back to 2007. And when the hell did I start doing this shit full, full time? 2006? So it's, you know, it was close to, it was within a year of when I started doing Daring Fireball full time. Um, uh, I always, you know, Daring Fireball was a career and doing a podcast was, you know, well, something you could do on the side and something sure. that the nature of writing a blog as a full time job that I would, easily have time to fit in look at the episode lengths 34 minutes 29 minutes 35 minutes 37 minutes 36 minutes 31 some of of them are over an hour but most of them are are like under 45 (laughs) episode 8 is 19 minutes and 28 seconds oh my god we spent that on white bread today a half-size episode with our predictions for the upcoming apple announcement later today Wow, wow, wow. This is amazing. <laughs> this is like uh, time travel. You know what? And it just snuck up over time that it is podcasting. I mean, you know this. I mean, you do a couple of shows. It's, you know, it, it doing a podcast in 2000, even through at the end of the run of this first one, which was what? The last episode was 29th October 2009. That was ahead of the time of... Uh, for podcasts, there just weren't enough people. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, even at that point, still. I mean, it still feels like um, there's an article every month or so that's essentially about the how podcasts are finally becoming a thing. You know, and it's, it's become. I mean, it's a tired bit for those of us. It's even a. It's even a a bit as a bit at this point to joke about this because it's been for five for what feels like five years now everybody who's been doing podcasts since the mid 2000s is saying like oh that's great it sounds like that's another uh you know it's a meta joke because it's like once again someone says oh you know have you heard about this thing serial podcasts which are like this and this and this are gonna like really be a thing and oh you know the mid-roll puts out another press release so somebody does an article about it and it's you know, I don't have that much. It doesn't frustrate me that much, except that it is. It is funny. It frustrates other people much more than it does me, um, because I think it is. This is still so very much the earliest of days. I mean, this to me is like as something like Ernie Kovacs was to TV, where like you may never see another Ernie Kovacs again, because Ernie Kovacs could only have been Ernie Kovacs at that time. You know, or or for that matter, I mean, you think about any of those weird shows that were on in the '40s before they really knew what TV was going to be. Think about, I mean, go go back even further. What was a movie? Well, a movie was a, mostly a camera sitting still and filming a bunch of people performing a play without sound, right? I mean, right. it was you know, 
I, I don't know if he gets the appropriate amount of credit, but somebody like D.W. Griffith not only had much more ambition in how you can tell a story with film, but what you could do with the camera as its own artifice or as its own you know, tool. And then introducing, like, you know, doing more than you know, having things like close-ups and then getting into things like editing. Think about the conventions of editing that we just take for granted today. But there was probably, what, 10 or 15 years of filmmaking that went on where people were just walking around going, I guess this is a movie. <laughs> so we think about those and we might have nostalgia for watching the sneeze or the kiss or something like that. But, you know, it didn't take 15, 20 years before we go, oh, no, there really is a vocabulary. You know, there's the 180 degree rule eventually. There's all these different things of conventions of understanding how we, you know, splice time and tell a story with film. And I still think it's really early days for podcasts. It's not, not anything as sexy or sophisticated as film, but I think it's still very early days. Well, the thing I've, it, it's the only part of my racket that's still growing like the the website does not you know any of the measurements right. that i could use you know rss subscribers or page views or whatever it peaked a while ago uh and i think i was talking about i forget who i was talking you, about you were talking week. with dan last week about yeah it. about how yeah. uh you know once google reader went away actually the numbers all went down and never really recovered and i don't like again i don't think that like it who, means- who knows like how much like it's not necessarily that that was the thing but there was probably a zeitge- there was a variety of different things coming together to create a certain zeitgeist around that time. Right, and it broke including habits. including the ascendance of. I have to be honest with you. Um, I, a, a couple of people on Twitter have been mentioning a talk we did at South by Southwest in two thousand nine, and so I'll go back and listen to it once a year or so, and I, I'm still proud of it as something that we did, um, and I, I love that people still like listening to it. And so that's two thousand nine. Uh, but you know, even then, we're, we're there talking about you know the rise of things like Gawker or the rise of things like TechCrunch, even though TechCrunch at that point is what, four years old, five years old. But like, you know, you just think about like at that point, Facebook was big, but Facebook was not what Facebook is today. No. You know, it wasn't so much, that was still the time when we were still feeling a little miffed about how much people got their news from aggregation sites rather than the sources that were writing them, which now today seems relatively quaint in comparison. Facebook didn't even have their IPO until 2000. 12, which seems crazy because we just talk about them as like a pillar of the tech industry, you know? Well, we weren't more than a few years off of MySpace still right. kind of being the big thing. I mean, it's, it's a, that's a throwaway line now, but at a talk I did at South by Southwest, South by Southwest the year before that, I made mention of MySpace. I mentioned MySpace in the uh, Inbox Zero talk from 2006. So, you know... That seemed like the unvanquishable big player for a long time, which now everybody looks at it and laughs. But like, no, no, honestly, that, <laughs> MySpace really was the thing for a long time. And it just seemed like Facebook was going to be a, have nicer typography and be, nah, you know, whatever. I'm not going to be like a, a dork about it, but Facebook seemed like the next MySpace. It didn't seem like, I, I'm pretty impressed with how much it has stuck around and grown yeah. in that amount of time. Yeah, I wouldn't have predicted it. But for you, so with your where you are with during Fireball, this is probably a little bit inside baseball. But the, is it that has the size of your uh, slice stayed the same, and the pie has gotten smaller? I don't that know. would be my gut. I you still seem like very influential in the same circles you were influential in five years ago. But maybe it's a smaller pie. Yeah, I think it's something like that. You know, and I think that if you polled people and said who's influential writing about Apple, I prob I probably do better now than I did then. But I mm-hmm. don't have I have fewer page views per month than I did then. 
Like I don't, and I think it just all hits oh, yeah, on an everybody, argument. Everybody does, right? right? I mean, and it's you know, it's it fits very well with my you know career long argument that page views are a ter- terrible way to measure anything other than how busy your 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 version of Apache is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do people still use Apache? I use Apache. I imagine <laughs> I Apache. Like, I don't know. You don't even you don't even know if Apache's out. <laughs> but like, think about something like like. And again, you know, you always got to give me a little bit of a pass. I don't follow all this stuff super carefully. I read your site. I read Six Colors. I read iMore and MacWorld. I, I'm not a Mac, an Apple follower. I'm a user. I'm a super user, but I'm not. I don't follow the business. But with that said, um, I mean, could you have guessed what four years ago that Mark Gurman? would have risen in a sentence the way that he has. No. That still feels like a story that's not done being told. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. I mean, I've noticed, I feel like I've noticed a change in how you talk or think about him. You had, Didn't you have him on the show one time? Uh, at least once, maybe twice. I think it was twice. At least once. But like, wasn't there a time when you, well, I'll put it this way, I, I would lump all of those idiots into the same group of like, who cares? Why are you talking about rumor stuff? But he has been... It seems to me unique in his ability to get to the right sources that he is true. He is he does know about stuff before other people, and he finds a way to make it into a story in a way that a lot of other folks haven't. Where it doesn't really just feel like a blown up forum site about rumors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's he's changed that particular game a little bit. Oh, definitely. What do you I think was, about that? So I've had him on twice. I had him on uh, last June. He seems like a pretty smart guy. And then I had him when it, when the show this this incarnation of the show was hosted over at Mule. He was on episode seventy nine uh, in twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, you know, and I I he's the most successful rumor Apple rumor reporter ever, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Just in terms that it seems like a like a gig that burns people out, but also just the fact that he seems to be he gets good information what seems like a lot more often than other people. I mean, I don't care whether he has the most popular site. It's just that right. the accuracy of what he's gotten right, not just by throwing a million darts at the board, but by saying this, 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 and this, and most of that's true, I think it would be hard to argue that he's been the most successful yeah. in terms of track record. Yeah, he's definitely not a uh, darts at the board type of person, you know, he, he, you know which, is a, which is to say that what if you predict anything and everything and then... Uh, you know, one of them is bound to hit, and then you're you're good. Do you ever hear about this? Somebody told me about. That. I think our friend Paul Kafasis told me about this a couple of weeks ago. That uh, I guess I'll have to put it in the show notes and find it. But during the the last soccer World Cup, which I guess was uh, what like two years ago, um, somebody what they did is um, they started pointing to these tweets from this account that was called like. Uh, uh, FIFA FIFA corruption. FIFA is the World Soccer Organization. Right, that's and, the uh Sepp Blatter yeah. guy. Well, so so these tweets had all the scores uh in advance of the game. Right, right, right. And right, it was right, like right. Germany Germany is Germany will beat Sweden 2 to 1. And, you know, so and so kicks a kicks a goal late you know, in extra time to, to, as the, you know, to break the one, one tie. And that it would, the timestamp on the tweet is before the game. And here, that's exactly what happened. And it went super viral. It was like, holy shit, this guy, whoever this anonymous person tweeting these things in is, you know, all of his tweets are exactly right. And they're all, you know, 
they've all got the scores right. So it's obviously these matches are all fixed. But what the guy did was brilliant was he tweeted like hundreds and hundreds of tweets with all sorts of and and soccer scores aren't that hard to to get. Yeah, it's not going to be like 135 to 7. Right. It's, you know, <laughs> it's going to be 3-2, 1-0. So <laughs> right? he tweeted hundreds and hundreds of these tweets with these possible things, very plausible things that would happen and hadn't hadn't publicized the Twitter account at all, then went and deleted all the ones that didn't come true, leaving only the ones that happened, and then started publicizing the Twitter account. Well, that's the way a lot of rumor blogging works, and German definitely isn't that style. I mean, you can't go back and delete it, but the, you know... Certainly, these financial analysts and stuff like that, they do it all the time. They'll say, you know, 10 different things. Nine of them are ridiculous, but one of them hit, and then they just point to the one that hit, and they're like, see? Yeah, that's so interesting when you think of it that way. And it's there are reputations that end up getting made that it's almost like, you know, imagine if you had to sit down in a Google spreadsheet and, you know, like remember there's that website for a while where you could make a bet about anything that would happen in the future. And, yeah. you know, I forget what that was called. But the idea is the artfulness is coming up with what actually constitutes the bet. Like you can't say like, oh, computers will get faster within the next year. Like, okay, thanks. That doesn't really help us. You had to have something very specific and quantifiable. If you were, if you were, and obviously you would never be this person if you're a rumor monger, but like if you had to like make that, say that by this date, the following kind of thing will happen. My level of certainty is this much. And basically the number of chips I'll put on the table is this much, right? You know right. what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to give this an, I'm going to give this a, you know, five out of 10 on how much I, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. And I'm going to bet this many chips that it would happen. So you sort of like odds, you know, it would be really interesting to go back over somebody's career and be able to look at those. I bet it would be, I bet it would be, especially for some of these dingling analysts. Can you imagine what that would be like? <laughs> and not just your trip chowdry types, but like just any of these folks out there who have some kind of speculative half reckon about, about something that might happen. It's like doing a cold reading, you know, like, you know, you, you walk up to anybody right. who can speak English and say, do you have an uneasy feeling about an older man in your life right now? It's like almost everybody does. <laughs> It'd be kind of like going, do you sometimes feel like you might be slightly more intelligent than a lot of the people around you? I'm like, oh, yeah, actually I do. Oh, interesting, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Have you had a loss in your life in the last <laughs> you yeah. That's the kind of thing where it, it really feels like a cold reading to just some of this stuff. You know, Apple's going to make a bigger phone. Apple's going to make a smaller phone. Well, congratulations. You just covered the entire board. Yeah. Like, thanks. That's great. That's really useful. You know what? This reminds me of a very specific rumor that is, re you know, somewhat recent, super widespread. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I wanted to bring it up with you. I, just, I didn't write it down. I kept it in my head. But now I, I remember. Otherwise, I would have forgotten it. Uh, I'm fascinated by this rumor that the next iPhone is going to get rid of the headphone jack. Yeah, and not too. not particularly because of the practical consequences of living with an iPhone that doesn't have a standard headphone jack, but the way that tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people have reacted to the news. Right. There's a petition that somebody put together that apparently uh, – and everybody knows how effective online petitions are. Especially for things that haven't been announced as a reality yet. Right. <laughs> It's like it's like being mad about like a, a speculative change of wardrobe by the cartoon character Tinkerbell. It's like, well, uh, you know, that's not anything we actually thought about, but sure, give us your petition. So, what are people saying? What is what is what is the nature of their demand that that they not get rid of the audio jack or what's what's the specific beef? 
Because uh, well, that, to me, that's what's interesting is like the ramifications, not to cut you off there, but like the ramifications of this are extremely interesting because there are a lot of things that this will screw up, a lot of things that it will allow, and just a whole bunch of stuff that it'll change. And it all comes down to these little implementation details to like what this means in the near term. And I, I find that incredibly fascinating. Here it is. It's a... Uh... Here's a, an online head uh, online uh, petition that has two hundred ninety one thousand eight hundred forty eight signees, and their goal is three hundred thousand. So they're actually uh, a little short of their goal. Um, here, I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read it to you though. It's um, <laughs> this is the way the petition reads. Uh, I think it's very. <laughs> I think the way it's read, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll try to use my voice to to put the bold. There's a lot of bold. Oh my goodness, there is. Apple, so. Apple, is, <laughs> Apple is about. To, maybe you should read it. Maybe you should read it. Uh, so, Apple is about to rip off every one of its customers again. Uh, Forbes and Fast Company are reporting that Apple plans to ditch the standard 3.5 millimeter headphone jack when it releases iPhone 7 later this year. Only a massive. Who are these people? Have they been to? Have they finished high school? Only a massive international campaign could force Apple to change course now. Really? Is that the only thing that can cause it to happen? That seems very like a very odd thing to just guess. Oh my god, this is horrible! Not only will this force iPhone users to dole out additional cash to replace their Hi-Fi headphones, their Hi-Fi headphones, it will single-handedly create mountains of electronic waste that likely won't get recycled after an M dash. According to the United Nations, up to 90% of this. Uh, oh, my God. This is so horrible. This is, and further down, this is right out of the Apple corporate playbook. <laughs> yeah, did, you know, did you know that, John? Did you know that they have a, yeah, a, a, a corporate playbook out of which things are right taken? A few years ago, it swapped out the original. <laughs> sounds like John Roderick wrote it. <laughs> Except John would never write this poorly. A few years ago, it swapped out the original iPod dock connector with a new one, making co- <laughs> countless cords, cables, and chargers obsolete. <laughs> Further down, tell Apple to keep the standard headphone jack and ditch planned obsolescence! Exclamation point. So I find it fascinating. This I, is incredible. I do realize that if it's true that the headphone jack goes away, that it will be an inconvenience to people who have purchased third-party headphones, and the more expensive they are, the more inconvenient it might Does be. Does it have to be an inconvenience? Well... I mean, you have to have an adapter or something like that, and the adapter is going to stick out right. further than it did before. I mean, it's you know, it... I, I, yeah, it's just that, I mean, like first of all, this has not been announced yet. There's no way to know. <laughs> right. This is the class. This is one of those classic. It's one of those classic examples of taking something that isn't a thing yet. Taking even how do you you begin with the idea of something that's not a thing yet? Guess like two orders of change away from that until you find something that makes you infuriated, until where people are extremely angry about something that hasn't happened. So, I I, I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like uh, I I think it is interesting because it would it could mean lots of different stuff for the company. But if you watch Apple at all, and I'm not even saying this will happen, but if it does happen, I don't think this would be surprising at all. Especially given how much they want slimness and given how much they want might want this added functionality. I don't think they're doing it to make you buy new headphones. I think they're doing it because they think that's the future rather than the past. Right. And implicit in this line of argument is the idea that they should never get rid of this headphone port and that devices that we buy 20, 30, 40 years from now should still have the same headphone port because at any given point, if every device 
that could have headphones uses the same port, there's never going to be a year where it's like, well, now's the year when nobody's going to be put to any inconvenience whatsoever by this. Right. And right. it's and the fact that they they make mention of the thirty pin to lightning adapter thing is to me it's like that that the people who signed this are still upset about that one. It's it's like yes, that was an inconvenience, and I know just from like talking to people, like one of the scenarios where that was really inconvenient would be like, let's say that you're uh, uh, maybe like you and your spouse are on every other year schedules getting new phones. You each get one every two years, but every other you know one year for one, one year for the other. So there was a year there where uh, one of the you know household members had the old iPhone port and the other oh, had the it new was, one. Yeah, it was the worst for a while, yeah. And so it's not just as simple if, unless everybody in the house switches at once, it's not as simple as just, well, just buy a couple of the new ones and leave them around. But like if there's a charger in the kitchen or something like that, well, now you've got to have a dongle or something. Um, but it, once, you know, give it a couple of years to work itself out. And now it's a better world because we have a better port. It's smaller. It works bi-directionally. Right. In hindsight, well, it's like, well, that, that really worked out well. Well, let me let me ask you an extremely carefully worded question, or ask our listeners an extremely carefully worded question. How many of you out there are using headphones that you bought over five years ago uh, that you still use several times a week, and do you intend to keep using them for the next two years? Or let's even say the next year. Oh, how about this? Headphones you bought in the last four years that you still use more than one time a week, several times a week. Maybe are, are there any that you bought over four years ago that you're using every day with 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 an iPhone, right? And do you intend to use that for another year? Because here's the thing. That's when the lightning adapter came out, was four years ago. Do you follow? Yeah. <laughs> in the amount of time since the lightning adapter has come out, I am not finding it difficult to deal with not having a 30-pin USB jack anymore. It just doesn't come up. It comes up a couple times a week, maybe, or maybe even less, because I have to charge my kid's ancient iPad 2. But that that transition is well and truly over. (laughs) With the exception of maybe going into a hotel room and finding some places that still have those. Do you see my point, though? Like, so, So what's the legacy problem here? Do you personally have any headphones that, like, you couldn't afford to replace that you've used for more than four years and need to use for the, more than the next year or so? Because it's going to be at least a year, I'm going to guess, until that happens. Yeah. So to me, the li- it all falls apart already because, you know, it's not, like you get a, it's not like getting your dad's Rolex. We're talking about headphones that people probably buy every couple of years anyway. Yeah, so, and boy, an awful lot of people. I know, and it's nice at this point where we've got, I don't know, I, I think if you did like a thorough, uh, you know, Comb, combing of our household and counted up all of the pairs of white apple earbuds <laughs> that are in this house. <laughs> I would not be surprised if the number of working pairs of them was at least, I don't know, 12, maybe more, maybe like 15, 20. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and it's nice, therefore. Like, I've got a pair here at my desk and I think I've been using these for a while. Those are just my emergency travel headphones. I hate them. Uh, I hate them. <laughs> I they fit my ears pretty well, so I use them. Amy okay. doesn't really like them, but uses them. And Jonas just goes. Jonas likes them a lot, so he Jonas uses them. But it's nice if you misplace a pair, you just find another pair, you pick it in, and it, so it'll be a pain. Yes, you'll get a new iPhone. Uh, presumably, if it comes, you know, unless they go, who knows what they're going to do? That's the other thing that makes me so crazy about the, or not crazy, but so 
like what's just wrong with you people like we haven't heard the the story yet if if it's true we haven't even heard what apple expects us to do is are they going to go entirely wireless is it a new thing is it is it going to be the lightning port um let's just say though that they do include a pair of wired headphones and they plug into the lightning port yes it'll be mildly inconvenient that like the 15 pairs of headphones in the house already no longer work on this phone and you have to use the one that came with your phone. But they're going to give you a pair of headphones that work. They're going to give you a pair of headphones that work and knowing Apple, I mean, Apple is, has been fairly consistent about this. I call it, personally, I call it the one-year warning shot, which is that Apple will give you, if you're looking for it, you will notice a warning shot about what's going to go away in a year if you're paying attention. That could be all kinds of different devices. But you th- the one classic for me is the scrolling direction. They said, okay, from now on, we're changing the c- scrolling direction on, on OS X. It's going to seem weird, but that's going to be, you know, here's the thing. If, you, if it absolutely drives you crazy, you can go back and change it to the other way, like an animal. But, uh, but we want you to know that, like, this is the way we're moving. And if you want to move in the direction Apple is moving, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifferent, you need to listen for those warning shots and in the next year get your head around the fact that this is going to change. So, yes, I think they will give you, if, if this is the change, and I don't think there's evidence that there is, but whatever, if there is, they're going to give you the right headphones. And you know what? I'll bet you you can find some kind of janky-ass adapter that will let you use your beloved headphones. Um. But I don't think – I think if they do this, it's not going to be because it makes your life miserable. It's because they want to do something really new. And that to me is super interesting. What could you do with lightning headphones? There's so many things that are super interesting to me in yeah. thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, one, I'm thinking also about stuff like could you have – like let's say you had a charger pack. It, would it be conceivable to have a charger pack that had just a slightly larger than usual chin on it where you could potentially ha- plug that in – to the lightning and then have both the transmitter and off to the side a, a dingus for plugging in old style headphones i mean yeah. to me that's not beyond imagination sure you could do it what would it what would an adapter look like you think uh well i mean it might just be a, a, just a straight adapter it would just be like a little uh you know uh on a cord probably no either on yeah maybe it would be on a cord maybe so otherwise just... you're gonna get that ipad pro pencil problem if you've got this right for the for like full-on long iPhone jack, that's going to be pretty long accounting for what's already inside the phone. Yeah, maybe it should be on a little cord. Because that way, and the little cord, if it was on like a little like, you know, like inch, two inch cable, yeah. then it wouldn't uh, be like a crisp, breaky, offy thing in your pocket. Like the size of one of those splitters, like where you want to split into two and you get two separate cords coming yeah. out, something along those lines. I, but like, that would, that, would, that would fix the legacy problem. Is it elegant? No, but welcome to the future. Like... You're gonna buy new headphones anyway, especially. I don't know. I just seems we're so either gonna, we're either gonna use this old 3.5 millimeter port forever, <laughs> forever, or on an infinite time scale, <laughs> or eventually somebody is gonna ship a product that doesn't use it. And so yep. I, I I I don't get it. I really do enjoy though. So I here's the thing though. I really do wonder if it's true. I wonder if this actually is a rare case, in my opinion, of a deliberate leak by Apple to vent a whole bunch of the anger almost an entire year in advance so that when it is announced, it doesn't come as a shock to nearly as many people. Who has done the most significant uh, and reliable reporting, or, you know, apparently reliable reporting on this? Uh, I guess the guy at Fast Company. Oh, okay, okay. I guess, and notably not German. So it would be... Maybe. Yeah, Forbes and Fast Company is what the petition says. Although they don't Oh no, they do have links to it at the bottom. 
So if you go to that petition page, that I don't think leaks. Forbes will let me look at their page anymore. <laughs> iPhone Seven leaks quote confirm Apple abandoning headphone jack. So like, oh my a, god, it's like it's like they've got a different dictionary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, they did put the word confirm in quotes. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's, that's just a little better than putting proves <laughs> in quotation marks. It's like reality, but maybe not. The Fast Company headline is, It's true, colon, Apple will drop headphone jack to make the iPhone 7 slimmer, comma, says source. I, I, well, I would say that the Fast Company one is probably the most reliable. What, so, so, okay, so I haven't even exactly asked you this. Do you think this will happen? Uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it has to happen eventually, and so why not now? Okay. And what are you what are some of the benefits? Uh I guess the most obvious one apparently is that it is the gating factor for getting the phone any thinner. Well, correct? maybe. The the counter argument to that is that the current iPod touches are significantly thinner than the iPhone the current iPhone. And so and they still have the standard headphone jack and there are iPods uh, other, you know, like regular non-iOS iPods that are even thinner still that still have that port. Hmm. Um, but like on the iPods that are thinner that have that port, the there's like a chin area where the the inserted part of the headphone jack doesn't actually uh, go underneath the display, mm-hmm. which makes it easier engineering-wise. On the iPod Touch, it does. It's it It could, you could make a significantly thinner iPhone and keep this port. Uh, but without question, any every port you remove has got to mm-hmm. make it the device smaller and lighter. Yeah, well, it's also. I mean, there just seems like there's several. I'm not an engineer, obviously, but you know, it's it's common it's sense le- though that if you well, just yeah, take the I mean, port out and don't even replace it with another port of any kind, it's, but every it, yeah, every every dingus you can take off of there, it could mean all kinds of things. It means it means more space to do anything with that area, including what components you could put there in its place. Remember, also we're talking about like at least what three quarters of an inch of depth. You've got to engineer around with right. that. Yeah, I Aside think it's from the this depth. thing that's already got that depth accounted for. I actually think if you could pick the brains of like a, a hardware engineer at Apple who who works specifically on these problems of how do we cram all the stuff we absolutely need and get the biggest possible battery that we can, given the insane thinness that Johnny Ives' team is saying we're supposed <laughs> to build this at? Uh, I would I would bet that if you talk to one of the engineers on who works on that, here's what Johnny's team says we're supposed to be able to build. How do we make this reality? That the depth of the jack into the device is actually a bigger uh, problem than the yep. 3.5 millimeter diameter. As well as I'm gonna, I don't, I don't know electronics, but I'm, as well as I'm guessing being one of the most difficult parts in terms of moisture, the lightning. I, I don't know. I feel like did I talk to you about my weird lightning thing last year, where one particular pin on my lightning cable had turned like a bluish green on all of my chargers. <laughs> no, the exact same pin on both sides, and and I wondered if it was a hardware virus. But it basically, uh, and then all of a sudden, all my devices weren't charging as well. And it looked like basically an aquamarine, is that the kind of dark blue-green? Yeah. Like a dark blue-green crayon had been very lightly smudged on the same pin of <laughs> six different lightning jacks. Isn't that insane? It, but it must, I'll bet the problem must have been with the device, that you had a device where the internal 
Well, what, what caused what is the question? Do you remember Jeff Veen talking about the hardware virus at Google? Did you ever hear about that? No, I don't think I have. I love this story. Uh, they had a hardware virus. Well, I'm going to give you minutes to mull that over in your head. They had a hardware virus at Google where basically um, people's DVI uh, jack, what do you call what do you call the, the female on the laptop, the jack? I think the, it's People's the jack, DVI yeah. jacks stopped working. The ports, sorry. The ports stopped working. And they all had this same... They appeared to all, people would notice that they, they would go and they plug into the projector, it didn't work. They'd go and look. And uh, this one pin had gotten like kind of basically bent and distorted inside all these different people's laptops. And, and so that you would go, and if you were whatever room you're in, you look at the plug, and that plug was messed up, your laptop is messed up. Suddenly everybody's noticing all the laptops and all the plugs are messed up, and you can figure out why, right? It all started with one slide projector having a broken pin and passing that defect onto any piece of hardware it plugged into. And then, consequently, each piece of hardware that plugged into that computer then got it too, which would then pass it on to everybody else. That's insane. It's incredible. (laughs) What an amazing idea. I've never heard of that before. And now it's kind of amazing it doesn't happen more often. So that was my first thought. Isn't that how Skynet started? Is that the one in uh, in, uh, Robocop? (laughs) Terminator. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's how that started. Uh, so I don't, I don't know much about that. You know what's funny is like I, I can't believe I'm living in an age where my phone feels too thin and my Touch ID seems too fast. Like, and when I take the Naked Robotic Core out of the leather case and I hold it in my hand, I have to tell you my 6S Prime uh, feels like a little too thin. It's, it's not that comfortable to me. I don't think I'd want it to be any thinner. Yeah, well. And I, I wish, I now, uh, to get, like right now, I want to see if I have any messages. I use my pinky now because <laughs> I want to be able to see the uh, lock screen before it turns on. It's so impossibly fast now. Could you ever imagine that that would be something a grown man would bitch about? Yeah. You know, it still gets me when I want to take a photo. Like something is happening. Like, oh, my God, I got to get a picture of this. Right, and right, right. I, I developed the habit a few years ago when they added the feature where there's a camera shortcut on the lock screen. And just swipe up. Remembering that. And, but... Uh, and I've when I'm normally using the phone, I've, I'm getting better at if I really do want to see the lock screen, I know to use the side button to wake it up instead of the the fingerprint button. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but when I but, but when I'm in like that emergency, holy cow! There's a squirrel eating a uh, you know eating a duck <laughs> eating a yeah. There's a squirrel eating a duck. <laughs> I don't have time to think. I have to think to use that side button. I just instantly go to the home button, and then right. I'm that's, that's, you know, that's like muscle muscle reflex. And then now I'm looking around for oh man now <laughs> yeah, and now it's like my Twitter client is open, and I'm like oh look at it's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and you start shaking like yeah. an old man. You're like oh wait a minute, I want to get back to the screen I was on. By the way, I want to. I'm thinking about writing about this, but I actually yeah. looked up. I had the same problem you just went through verbally a minute or two ago there about the the word Jack and is Jack. When you talk about the headphone jack, is the jack the the male or is it the female? It ends up here's the de- different dictionary definition. Oh, a, good, good, good. A socket with two or more pairs of terminals designed to receive a jack plug. So it is the female, but in the dictionary, this is the Apple dictionary, which is uh, what like American Heritage or something. They describe it as needing two or more pairs of terminals. So like. I, I feel like the dictionary is wrong on that case because every you know it doesn't seem like they have a definition that would work with headphone jack where there's just one terminal. Wait, that that's jack or socket. Jack, J A C K. Jack. Yes. 
a socket with two or more pairs of terminals designed to receive a jack plug. So that's the female headphone dingus? Is yeah. it jack? They're saying that they the should female, call that a jill. They're saying they're, they should. I've thought of that. That it does seem like maybe the jack. <laughs> Am I right? The jack, what about airplane flute? <laughs> uh, socket jack. So they're okay. saying it's a jack is the socket and the jack plug is the plug. Oh. Okay. Then, then what do you call the pig face thing that you get 110 electricity out of in your house? Is that an outlet? You call that an outlet? I, I would normally call it an outlet, but I might call it when a... You, when you jack your plug into the socket, you call that an outlet? Yeah, I might call it a jack casually. I would prefer to call it a jack because I feel like it's jack is a pretty good word. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Huh. I feel like with headphones and casual speaking, you can kind of... It doesn't make any logical sense, but that you can kind of get away with calling the male and the female a jack. Yeah. Just take the, if you've got your headphones, just take the jack and plug it into the jack. Jack in the jack. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Take the headphone jack and just plug it right into the jack on your phone. Why, what do you, um, what do you make of the, the apparent obsession with increasing thinness? What do you make of that? I mean, I want to say what do you make, what do you make of that? Uh, do you, do you, do you like that? Do you feel that it is useful and important? And why in particular do you think it seems like such an obsession inside the white room to make things thinner? And is that a thing? Because it feels like a thing. I don't know anybody, I don't know, I can't think of anybody I know who's top of the list, even their top five would be, I want a thinner phone. Pretty much everybody I know says I would, and who knows, this could be at cross purposes, like with your think, thinking fast mind, your thinking slow mind. But like everybody I know says they would like to get more battery. Right. I don't know anybody that says I want a thinner phone. I asked Schiller about that when he was on the show at WWDC, and he gave a good answer. Or at least at the time, I was like, damn, that's a good answer. And <laughs> damned if I can remember it. <laughs> I was backstage. I was backstage drinking. I don't yeah. remember. Uh, damned if I can remember it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because it's gone past the point where I care. Like, I'm impressed now, like, when I go to one of these Apple events and it's the year when you get a new form factor and then they have them on a, you know, Apple table backstage and you get to touch them and see how thin they are. And it's like, wow, that is thin. But I think, uh, honestly, even starting, I, honestly, I don't think that the thinness of the thing has ever really mattered to me i liked the original iphone i didn't think it was too thick and i mm -mm. think starting somewhere around the four yeah the four and the 4s the one mm -hmm. that had the glass back the glass front glass back that's still that's still my favorite the 4s is still like my favorite um form factor at that at that point i i thought this is this is fantastic this feels so great in my pocket mm -hmm. it's you know this is great. I love, uh, and then when they made the next one even thinner, I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" But I didn't think this is better for me. Like they could have stopped at the thinness of the four four S, and I'd be happy if they just packed it with battery. Well, you know, I, I like that. It, I, I don't want to sound like an idiot. Obviously, I'm, I'm glad to see enhancements to the phone. I like that it's faster. I like that it's bigger. It's all that kind of stuff. But like the to me, the four S design still, you know, the whole like chamfered edges or whatever they called it. That still feels so classic to me. That, no, that, that was the 5 a, and 5S. Was that the 5 and the 5S? Yeah. But that has, wait, no, what was the 4? That was the one that had the glass back. And it just had metal sides. They were like, it wasn't chamfered, though. It was... All right. Uh, see, but that, that, yeah, I guess in my head, I think of that. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I still think of that as like, I'll remember that as the classic iPhone look, I think. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I like the rounded-ish edges. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. Yeah, this one looks like a Mophie before there was a Mophie, right? It's got yeah. that, that metal edge. Was this the antenna gate phone? Yes. Yeah, right. God, look at, I'm looking at just what the OS looked like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's so... I don't hate it, though. I don't I, you know, hate I, it. I, I'm not going to blanket party on Forstall. Like, I, I think... I don't know, man. It's it's when the iPhone got good, you know? He was still there running the show. Um, so thinness. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. And you know, again, it's I have to always in my head discount the fact that, you know, the way that we you know that book I'm talking about, that Kahneman book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's an amazing book. But you know, there are, are the ways that when we stop and think and meta think about what we're doing, that's actually very different from the way that we think from day to day. It's there's just I mean, setting aside the research, there's just the anecdotes, there's so much stuff about like what we think we want versus what we actually do and how what we actually use and how we actually process information. If you ask anyone who's a gambler whether gambling is a good way to make lots of money and you you say to them they will say no it's not it's dumb that i do this it's dumb that i drink it's dumb that i gamble it's dumb that i do these things it doesn't change the fact that we still do it so i have to guess that there's something going on on a sub rosa level here where there they are there's some reason that they are making these things the way they are making them and it may not exactly comport with the way that my brain thinks that these things should be made but they must have their reasons right that's what i try to think i try to i try to remain un emotional about it like i don't see it and i don't get it but i feel like it's of a it's of a part with the outrage over the headphone jack yes where i don't want to be the one who's outraged that they've made this the next iphone even thinner and the battery life isn't any better you know when obviously if they had you know kept it the same thickness and just it added a little more battery they could have made battery better that sounds good better to me and i know that there's these uh you know literal laws of physics that affect image mm -hmm, quality of mm -hmm. the camera where the longer the distance you have between the lens and the sensor it helps to have a bigger you can have a bigger sensor with bigger pixels and therefore get better image quality um i understand that it just i don't get it it seems to me com my my look at it as common sense is if they kept the thinness the same at this point then they could have more battery, which would increase battery life, and they could have better image quality on the camera, which are like the two things that I care about most. Mm -hmm. Using the camera and the battery, and they keep instead they keep making it thinner. I don't get it, but I don't assume that there's no good reason for it, or that the only reason is uh, like Johnny Ives' personal obsession with the thinness. I, I get that there must be something. I just don't see it. Right, right. And and I think for, for folks who are technologically in, inclined, scientifically inclined, or even rationally inclined, you might want to look at something like, you know, in, in this case, the thinness of the phone, and you can come up with half a dozen reasons why making it thinner is not a good idea, or, you know, or is not the first good idea. But at the same time, you could look at stuff like the skeuomorphism that goes into automobiles, you know, in terms of like making this sporty wheel look even more sporty than it needs to look for the sportiness of it. Like, does that actually help make it a better car? Not, not in the usual sense, but it makes it more attractive to people. Having it create more, like making it make more engine noise than it needs to make. Does that make it a better car? Not really, not in an engineering sense, but there's a reason. There's reasons for all of this stuff. It goes beyond simply fashion, but there's something about like when you're using it, this makes you feel a certain way. And that's why people keep going back and buying these same brands over and over. Do you know? Yeah. I, I'll channel, try to channel my inner Syracuse here. And I feel like Syracuse, if he's listening, is champing at the bit here. Because I feel like he could explain this 
best. But like the 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 end result eventually is that these phones are just going to be pieces of glass. You know, like uh, remember? Did you see the movie Looper? Yeah, like those are basically it's like or or even in like Parks and Rec, it's basically gonna be like a it'll be like a clear like a floating screen kind of thing. Just a, yeah, just a, it's just a, just the piece of glass, just or you know maybe it's not glass, maybe it's a polycarbonate, but just the screen. Mm-hmm. And it's when it's off, it maybe it's even translucent, and everything is built into it. Um, to get from here to there, they have to keep making everything thinner, and that they know that that's where it's going. And in the meantime, they have they have to keep pressing the gas pedal on making these things thinner, even though it's at the expense of trying to also it's it's working counter to making battery life better and counter to making the camera better. They have to keep working on all three because that's inevitable. Right. And if they don't do it, somebody else will. Because we're still thinking about a powered device as relying on the kind of power with the kind of constraints that we do right now. In the same way, like think about the leap from CRT to LED. Like, I mean, making that the, that mental model, that leap from what a TV is, what a TV looks like, how, how is it that within, like, less than 10 years, we went from a TV being, what, in an 80-pound box <laughs> into being almost like a plane, right? I mean, that, but that's, that, that takes an entire quantum leap. Whereas if you ever opened up a TV or opened up a stereo, like a crappily made stereo system, it's all air inside. There's no reason for any of that. It's just, it's just cheapest to make that way with stock components. So that's kind of what you're saying, right? Is that like, if we look at this as more than one axis changing in the future, you can't help but think that there's going to be some evolutions we don't in the near term understand, not evolutions, but changes we don't immediately understand. Yeah, I also wonder if there might not be a very practical near-term product marketing angle on it, which is that Apple and other companies as well might know that if they made the device, let's just say that the iPhone 7 coming out is, the new iPhone's called the iPhone 7. It's coming out later this year, and it's thinner than the iPhone 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably, all. everything I just said is what I guess is going to happen because it's what's been happening for years now. I don't have anybody, I don't know any sources who've told me that, but it's a very logical guess. Apple might know that if they made the iPhone 7 the same thickness as the iPhone 6, even though they could make it thinner, but if they made it thicker and use that extra thickness to increase the battery life and maybe get rid of the... Uh, maybe if image quality isn't even better than it would be otherwise, but there's no... Um, uh, you know, the camera lens doesn't stick out from the back, which would make me very happy. Hmm. They might know that in the long run that would make people happy, but that in the short run, if they did that and then people go into a Verizon or AT&T store and side-by-side with a Samsung that is thinner, even if it's at an expensive battery life, oh, that, yeah. that, you know, that they have a reasonable reason to believe that X number of people will then pick that Samsung because, wow, look how thin this is and walk out of it, even though in the long run they might have been happier with the thicker phone that gets better battery life. But at the point of sale, that thinness will yeah, help. Yeah, the, the thinness has curve appeal over, like, bullet stats. Right. And, the, and you know, in in that sense of, like, like, that's a really interesting way to put it. You know, you think about what you what you what you buy when you just walk into the store, like, and how it makes you feel in the moment. That could actually have a huge impact. Yeah, I and I really and it's a little. I know that there are the nerds out there, the people who you know either do think more logically than most people, or at least like to think that they think a lot more logically than most other people. And I suspect there's a lot of people listening to us right now who who that applies to. Think that makes me angry because I'm so logical that would never fool me. Um, 
a you might be fooling yourself about yeah. just how emotional you know the emotional context of buying it you know um but be even if you do have a good point because you pre-order your phones and and you buy your new iPhone before you've ever even seen it in person um you can't underestimate that that when you're selling in the quantities that Apple sells at that most people are not like the people who listen to this show yeah but also a um what feels like a, a real change in attitude from you know over the years, I don't know if you can call this a real change in attitude, but you know, th- there was a time when being somebody who said, "Hey, look, you know, just give me exactly what I want in this device, and then leave me alone, and and stop trying to make this pretty." If somebody said that in 1999, would you guess that that's a Mac user or a PC user? Because that really sounds like a PC user to me. Yeah, me too. Right, <laughs> there was a time when you know one of the one of our many indignities in the uh, Apple community was that we did, by and large, we certainly you could do more at a certain time on your Mac. Uh, it wasn't as reliable or stable, but you know that's that's been the trade offs over time. But this, it is kind of funny to me that everybody comes in. It's like you know uh, the whatever the six different guys, uh, you know, the six, six blind men describing an elephant. It's like everybody's holding a different part of the elephant when they describe it, and it is kind of funny like how quickly like we can go down this personal rat hole of having exactly the idea of what we would want in a phone, but exactly the idea of what we want in a phone if we actually sat down with people in a room would end up being surprisingly different from person to person. There has to be some. Somebody there at some level making those executive decisions about what they can do and make well at scale. You, didn't, I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling that out of my ass, but I do feel like so, you know you eventually get into this Homer's car type situation with people where you know, oh, you know what? I'd love to have a way bigger phone or a way smaller phone, or I'd love to have a way longer battery life, or you know, everybody's got the. Or in your case with, with the with the camera, most people I, I'm going to guess don't know enough. I don't know enough about the camera to know that thing about the the lens and things like that. Otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't well, make the, a lot of these arguments. You know it on common sense level, though, right? Like when you look at the 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 sideline guys at the Super Bowl shooting the photos for Sports Illustrated, what do their cameras look like? <laughs> they right. have these giant lenses because there's definitely some adva- you know tremendous I think we advantages. Tend, well, to your point about the curb, what I'm calling the curb appeal part. For example, what you said, you wish the lens didn't stick out. When I think of the camera on my phone, I think of that lens. <laughs> I don't think about what's going on inside. I think about that right. lens. And, and I think about the fact that every time I put my phone down, I feel a little nervous. And I feel a little bit unsettled in an OCD way about that thing sticking out. Yeah. Or in the example of talking about the headphone jack, the audio jack, I mean, like, like we were sort of getting to, I mean, h- how many people think about that in terms of a cylinder versus a circle, do you, if you take my meaning? I think when right, most people right. think about the gating factor of right. I don't know what you call it, they think of a mean. circle, right. not not a not a tube. Right. They're the talk, tube they, is actually a much bigger deal right. than the circle. Right. That they think of the diameter of that uh, port as opposed to the depth of the port. Right. So, it, or now to apply that same analogy, you know, when you talk about the camera, I think of a hoop, and you think of a cylinder. Yeah. Right, I and do. so, so you know, for any other, anybody else, you go, well, no, 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 look, it's a hoop. You can make that as flat as you want, but no, 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 actually, that's a cylinder, and that that does have an impact. And this is one case where, you know, these two things, this the bigger this gets, the better the phone is. The smaller this this thing is, the better the phone gets. And those two, I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to make it look like an iMac box? Like, what would you do? <laughs> you could make it like a ramp or a wedge. <laughs> I would love to. I I like to imagine. I would like to have been to see a transcript, even just a transcript of like meetings within Apple, where it was 
explain to Johnny Ive that okay, but the 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 camera lens is going to protrude. What do you mean it's going to protrude? Well, it's going to visibly be not flat. Well, how much are we talking about? Are we well, talking about a monocle here? Well, Johnny, it's we, just we've made enough a proto- to drive you insane. <laughs> we've made a we've made a prototype. Here it is. <laughs> and the first time he grabs that 3D printed thing, he goes, hmm? mm-hmm. he turns it around, he places it on the desk, and it goes, waka, 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 because <laughs> it's not flat. <laughs> Can you imagine? In oh my god, that ah. Uh, I bet he was just slamming Xanax after that. That would just have to make him so crazy. It's like selling somebody a pair of gloves with a with a built-in hangnail on it. Like, <laughs> can we have it without the hangnail? All right. The nubbin on the iPhone six, all of you know, six success and the plus models, is to me like one of the most fascinating things that's ever come out of Apple. How because big is because that? if you have to know the company's history and their obsessions and the sort of things uh, that I'm, the people who work there care about. It's what a couple three millimeters, maybe. I don't even know how you would measure. I mean, it's it. I mean, real, real small. But on the but, other hand, but. like your finger has no problems. Like, oh no, 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 <laughs> running over it like a wart. Well, yeah, and that's a <laughs> or like 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 a canker sore. Like yeah, you've bitten yourself, or you can't. Kind of, I kind of can't stop doing this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing it because you like it. You're doing it because you can't stop. Yeah, you just can't stop. Compulsive. All right, let me t- take a break. Take a break here and tell you about our good friends at Igloo. Igloo makes the internet you will actually like. Look, we all struggle with productivity. Where everybody's constantly under pressure to accomplish more and do it faster. There is no one definite way to accomplish that. You can't. There's no like one system where if you just follow these steps, then you'll be more effective. Um, so everybody and each team devises their own methods to make things work, to collaborate, to organize documents, to organize to-dos and tasks and stuff like that. Igloo can help you do things your way, but only better. It's not like you get Igloo and then you have to follow the Igloo system of team communication and organization. Igloo is a flexible uh, configurable intranet that can be made to work the way your team already does work and just makes it better. Collaboration shouldn't be painful. It's an internet you'll actually like. Everything is done through the web. You don't need special client software. Everything is um, uh, responsively designed so you can get it from your phone. You can get it on your tablet. You can have a real nice view on your giant uh, you know, 27-inch iMac. Um, sign up now. Try it for free. You can use it for free indefinitely for up to 10 people. So if you have a small team that you're already all set, go to igloosoftware.com slash TTS. That's another one where the slug of the URL is the initials of the show, TTS, and check it out. If you have a team, you have a need for team communication, go check out Igloo. You know what I love about Igloo? This is, I'm just repeating what you said, but you know, there's so many of these things where like you feel like you get into a piece of software even some very good pieces of software, you feel like you're really entering into a worldview uh, where you have to learn to think like the people who made it. Yep. And as an example of a famous uh, company that we both admire, <laughs> you kind of need to think like that one guy and then you'll really get the software. What's neat about Igloo is like there's nothing you have to do. You can just shut off the stuff you don't need. There's something very satisfying about knowing the features are there, but you don't have to have them on. You can make it look the way you want. And it doesn't have to be like a world-changing philosophy that you adopt in order to make the tool work. 
I love that. Yeah, it's you know, it's sort of like a you know, it's, it's an overused analogy, but sort of like a Lego approach to making toys, where you know, it's not like here's the toy, you have to use it exactly this way. You just put the pieces together the way you want it. Well put. All right, let's <sighs> talk, let's uh, start the show. Yeah, you ready to go? Should I start yeah. recording? Well, have you? Uh, the main thing. I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about, but I I want to talk about the Godfather. Oh man, come on! I gotta pick up my kid in like an hour and a half. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just briefly, it's you know. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. So I did not see this coming. I don't know if they kept it secret or if I'm just oh my a goodness. dummy who doesn't know where to look for stuff like this. But it was like. I don't know, just a couple of days ago. I saw it on Kotke's site first, where Kotke was like, hey, HBO is going to have the Godfather epic on on uh, a, a, H, the regular HBO on TV, which uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know how it's, anybody... This whole thing makes almost no sense. The Godfather epic, the Godfather saga, whatever you want to call it, which version, can we tell what it is? Yeah. That it won- I mean, the story that I heard was that at one point... You know, The Godfather and The Godfather 2 had just been so huge, so critically acclaimed. And at some point, somebody got the idea to make it a miniseries that you could show on TV. And with the idea being that Coppola went in and personally supervised, A, um, putting this together in – putting it together for TV, meaning B, uh, taking out the stuff that would be, you know, too violent in that case. But also C, doing it in chronological order of the scenes in The Godfather 1 and 2, right? So far, so good. Yep. So that ran as a miniseries over, I think, two or three, four nights in the 70s or 80s. And then I, I can't – John, I have been looking for a copy of this for so long. It's hard to find a Samistat copy, copy of this, let alone a legit one. Like you can find like maybe sometimes a VHS, multi-VHS, or – it's just – it's one of those things that's very hard to find. But and it's not it's not the it's not the place to start I would say yeah. but like it, it it is if you are a Godfather fan it's a it's such with the new scenes or old deleted scenes brought back in it's a whole new way to watch the movie so what it, it's you can go if you have HBO Go or HBO Now HBO, I don't know why they have two different things HBO Go is what I have because I still have cable TV and I have HBO so if you have take cable TV right, and HBO right, you right. use HBO Go if you don't if you're a, "Quote unquote cord cutter." That's me. You sign I got up. That. You sign up for HBO now, which is exactly like HBO Go, except you just pay for it, uh, and you don't have to pay. There's got to be a very interesting reason why that is, uh, don't you I, think? <laughs> I guess, and it's like maybe like I think we, I, but I think Licensing? you get exactly the same stuff. I think you have all the exactly. Same, I think it's like the way that you have to log in is different. I just don't know why they don't make two different apps for it. I don't know, or maybe there's some way that. Maybe maybe it's so that they can just say, here's how many HBO Now users we have. Oh, I see. Sure, sure, sure. I don't know. But anyway, but if you have either it's one It's seemingly out of nowhere, this thing that is, like, it's, I've got it in, well, in places where one can find things off certain trucks. I've been looking for this thing for five <laughs> years. Because I remember when it would come on TV, when, when in reruns, it would come on sometimes on, like, what, like, USA? I, I guess, yeah. USA Again, in the to, 90s. But they never had this one that, that the one that's chronological order or did they well i think that's like i think it was originally called the godfather saga i well, think so you, too you gotta I, go to the wikipedia page for this because i think there is there also a version that has three in it i we think so yeah yeah and but the difference i mean like so and so i don't think it like, had i don't think the godfather saga had the cut scene put back in okay like i don't I think seen, i could be wrong i had seen when michael goes to chicago to find um Help me out. 
not Tomasino, uh, Fabrizio. I, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. I definitely, see, I very much remember that. And I remember thinking, that's the scene I'm glad they put in. There's a lot of scenes I'm kind of not so sure I'm glad they put in, but I thought that was great. The idea right. of him, them finding Fabrizio and being able to go after. We need to do a spoiler alert here. Uh, Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I think no, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, John. Yeah, you so you should, if if you've never seen The Godfather, or if you haven't seen it in, in forever, and and would like to rewatch it and keep it fresh, you should start stop listening <laughs> to the show. <laughs> it feels now, my, so silly to say. My thanks to Igloo, MailRoute, <laughs> and Backblaze. My thanks to Merlin Man, and you can stop the show. And my night, advice, everybody. and I think you'll agree with me. My, my my ending advice to you is just watch the God, watch the cinematic releases of the Godfather One and Godfather Two as originally released in chopped up. You know, spoiler alert in chopped up chronological order. Yeah. Well, and, it's not chopped up as as in like a, you know, Charlie Kaufman movie or something. No, but it's, you know, But it, it's it, but it's it's yeah, but I mean, watch Godfather 1, Godfather 2. Each one is better than the other. <laughs> they're awfully awfully good. Right. And the best way to watch them really is the way that they were originally made where there there's flashbacks interspersed yeah. with you know, You're going to appreciate areas. so much more. It's it's a little bit like a machete order type situation, yeah. Where there's going to be stuff uh, like like the one I mentioned to you is like it's neat to see young Tessio uh, when he's young, but like it's way more fun if you go, oh my god, that's totally Abe Vigoda. Like yeah. that's really cool. Like you appreciate it more in a Darth Vader kind of way. Yeah. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. This has been great. <laughs> and may your first child be a masculine child. <laughs> All right. Now, for those of you who are like, <laughs> the, the reason I love this, the, the Godfather epic. And again, I don't think it's the better way to watch it. I would never say that. And I don't think anybody would. I, but I think it's a fascinating way to watch it if you're like me and you, somebody who's watched it umpteenth times. I, yep. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a terrible way to watch it for the first time. In right. Fact. But it's a great way to watch it if you're overly familiar with it because it, it's sort of like when you're used to listening to an album as an album and when you hear certain songs like i hear certain songs from the rolling stones or led zeppelin or the bands whose albums i've listened to a gazillion times and when i hear the song i know what song's coming next and if i don't hear that song next it's it's not it's disruptive yeah but it's you know interesting it's an interesting juxtaposition and it's un, it takes me out of my comfort zone watching this the godfather epic does the same thing where i know what comes after this i know we go back to the 1950s and we see michael do this and instead we stay in the 1910s and that's disruptive to me and it makes me see that in a new way well and and it's funny because watching it in that order and this this is much more a couple things to note i would you okay i am (laughs) i thought you were laughing (laughs) or coughing or dying (laughs) you need some white bread we can get you some white bread um, I, th- I would two things. First of all, in the saga, which is seven, is it seven hours long? Right. This is the thing. Is yeah. I love it. I took a, a Twitter picture of it. Is you it. start playing it and it just comes up and it just shows on your TV as a seven-hour seven hour movie. movie. It's a seven-hour movie. So the two things to note uh, is that first of all, um, the first Godfather movie, which I think was well over three hours to begin with, uh, is the lion's share because I think it's also where they added the most. Uh, deleted or you know removed footage. Wouldn't that be fair to say? I I feel like we were at least two thirds of the way through the seven hours when it, we got into the Godfather two part. Yeah, isn't that I, right? I it seemed like that to me too. Yes. And then and second of all, the one that is then much more affected by this change in approach is God is Godfather two. Oh, you know, and here, obvi- duh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, I'm an idiot because I'm not accounting for the stuff from 19. 19- oh right, yeah, that's it. 
Yeah. Duh. Duh. Yeah. So it starts out the movie, the Godfather saga starts out with the it's it's the funeral of Vito's <laughs> father where where Paolo gets shot. Yeah, I made the same mistake you did where I completely forgot I'm so, that. St- so fucking stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um I do feel like I can't I can't Pepsi challenge this, but I do feel like the movie that ended up having much more deleted footage was the first one. Not if for no other reason than there was a lot more Marlon Brando than yeah. before. I mean, uh, a really noticeable a lot more Marlon Brando. IMDb says that The Godfather was is 175 minutes, so it was you know as intended as or as originally released, it was close to three hours. I mean, 175 minutes. Let's call it, let's just call it three hours. Wow, I, I always thought it was over three hours. Well, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, once you get up to close to three yeah. hours, it's, you know, it's over but, three you know, hours. The reason, the it's reason over- I remember that is like, I, I, I've often felt, I've often sat down and watched The Godfather and gone, I can't believe that three hours just went by. Yeah. You know, that sounds, that sounds silly, but I mean, it, it really goes by. Where, where are you on IMDb, like versions? Oh, I don't know. I just went to, I I'm just, on Wikipedia. I just. I just went IMDb The Godfather, and it says okay. 1972. So I don't think it's any kind of special edition or anything. Oh, my gosh. Lots of versions. I I found myself, and I'm not, I, I guess, like, with Star Wars, I'm a little bit more of a super fan. And I think any additional scenes or restored scenes, I would instantly know. And I've seen The Godfather many, many times. Uh there were a couple of the scenes that were added where I knew instantly, wow, I've never seen this before. And then there yep. were a couple where I was like, wait a minute, have yeah. I seen this? Yeah, like when when Al Neary um goes to talk to um shoot, who's the uh, who's the guy who um who owns the casino? Uh Klingman? Uh Is it Klingman? Well, Kling- yeah, remember when he goes and he beats the guy up in front of the dancers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I had this thought, well, first of all, the scene right before that where he's talking at length with him and starts kicking his ass in the casino, I was trying to remember, is that in that's, Godfather that, 2? That's one of the ones that I couldn't remember. Is it new? I think it was added, I I'm, think. And, uh, yeah, like the, and the whole thing with the... Uh, God, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking, Coppola loves big stage shows. Yeah. There's so many stage shows in The Godfather and then in Apocalypse Now also. You think about like all the stage shows with the Playboy bunnies and stuff. Yep. He's so great. Or the, like the donkey show was the show with Superman or like all the other shows in Havana. It's really interesting. That that seems like such a big thing. Anyway. That's a scene that? though. That's a scene that I I think had to be added because I think it would have stuck out to me because to me it emphasized the uh the power dynamics because a casino is a very it, you have to actually this is one of those things where the godfather kind of builds oh on man there's, there's no grab ass no grab ass in a casino right and there's no fighting in a casino like you mm-hmm. don't you don't you know everybody knows you go in a casino and there's beefy security guys around there and they just all they all they want to do is make sure there's no trouble and that the money just keeps flowing on the tables so like the way that you know to <laughs> To start banging a guy on the head in a casino shows... <laughs> the way he's doing it, it's so undignified. Right. It's if I had to have a dictionary and animate like a Harry Potter picture of what I would call a bitch slap, <laughs> yeah. it would be Al Neary hitting Klingman in the casino. He's like, pop, pop. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Klingman. They're pushing Klingman out. Right. Uh I've I loved it. I guess I can kind of see why they cut it, you know, that these movies are so long and that they really, you know, wanted to just cut every little bit of fat. And and leave. Oh, boy, there were a couple that really stuck out. I'm trying to remember. There were a lot involving backstory on Mike. I feel like involving Mike and Kay backstory stuff. Yeah. 
I, I'm, you know, and again, I, I've, it's seven hours long. I did, haven't watched the whole, whole thing, but um, I've been skipping around to like significant parts. Yeah, I feel like it really is a testament. Well, first of all, it is fun to watch it in chronological order because it, it's just, a, it's a, I, I never felt more, I don't say I've never felt more empathy, but it made me really appreciate De Niro's performance. I have to say the the interleaving was pretty great, but it's fun to just see all the De Niro in a row, almost as a short story. I, I you know, I, I, it's a hyperbolic. You can't you can't say something like this definitively. But just to be a jackass on Twitter after I got done with that first hour or so, which is the De Niro is young Vito, uh, I just tweeted that. It, it's the greatest screen performance in the history of American cinema. Now, do I really mean that? I, I would put it up there with any performance that De Niro's name, ever name, done. Name one that's empirically better. Right. It's it's in that A+. plus. Let's just say that there's an A-plus category that you can't go past. This is one of them. Yes, some of the other people who disputed it, there were others that were out there. But it's it's as good as any performance I've ever seen. Because it does like... It does like... 10 things at once. Like one, it is completely convincing that he is the younger version of Brando that you saw in this movie mm-hmm. before. It is completely convincing that this is the same guy. It's a different actor, but it's it's like, oh my God, that's the guy. And he, his carriage, not even just the catchphrases, his carriage and just, yeah. just the way that he he's exactly like Vito, but how you would imagine him younger. He's 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 very dignified and reserved. And kind, and you could see it's before you know he became quite the tough guy he became, and you feel that he could lose at any point. Well, and the other thing that struck out to me, and when you see it all condensed consecutively instead of being interspersed, one of the things that jumped out to me, and you know it, I mean, it's but it just really sticks out to you that this is a guy who likes to listen more than he likes to talk, mm-hmm. and that might make a lot of logical sense for the character, but it's not the way that movie characters are written. Right, because you tell an actor you don't have a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, that's of course, like, right. that's not good. Uh, De Niro makes that work, like where he's acting and he is telling you so many things about this character, and it has almost nothing to do with what he says. And you're 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 really articulating something I, I didn't have words for when I watched this parts of this again the last like three nights I've been watching this, and you just really articulated something to me. You're right in other movies. Uh, you know, like a straw man. But in other movies, yeah, it is about the number of lines. It's about how much you get to, pull, you know, pull a face and have an emotion. But think about scenes like, think about everything with De Niro. Think about uh, Robert Duvall throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, think about everybody, like, in the courtroom scenes. So much is tele- So much is telegraphed. So much is communicated by how each person mutes their emotional response. Right, a famous scene, like when uh, when they had the, the first sit down, and and uh, Vito says to Sonny, "Never tell the family what you're thinking. Like, never tell people what's on your mind. Right? Never tell anybody outside scene. the family. Never tell any outside the family what you're thinking. Right? right. Yes, yes. And and the, you see that throughout the movie, like when when Tom has to go into the place where the senator is with the you know with into you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah well, yep with the, he had a little problem with a girl. It, it's, he had a little problem with the girl, and the scene is, it's so awful, it's so scary, and it's so, but it's its not only scary and awful, but it's just, he, Geary is so undignified in the way he's trying to kind of like gather up the sheets while he's wearing a towel. Yeah, yeah. But you, but how does Robert Duvall, in that case, telegraph so much of this, oh, come on, guy, as well as, oh my God, I can't believe this is another fucking thing I have to do for the family. Do you? It's all there. I have a question about that scene, because I, I, I'm i not, it's so long, I'm not done with this yet. I think I'm maybe around with you. I'm about 
and maybe a little bit more than two thirds. I'm about three quarters through it, but I've, I saw that scene last night. Did did the family set him up? Yes. Or, yeah. Is that ever it's made very, clear, or I just no, haven't? No, it is it? not. I, well, I, no, I'm just telling you what I think. I, they, yeah. they say in particular because uh, um, Hagen makes Tom makes a point of saying you're very you're lucky that this is Fredo's place. Yeah, because we were able to come in and help you. I think they probably uh, slipped him a Mickey. Yeah, and, or, and killed the killed the girl. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. It's a and little that's too why convenient. he can't you know remember anything. Right. I've always Cor- thought Cor- that too. But I love that they don't <laughs> make it. Corleone. <laughs> I, I love him in that role. He's so good. He's such a scumbag. Geary. I like the way that he, as he's, he's, at the first time we see him at uh, young Anthony's first communion party, and he's reading from these cards. It's perfect. It's perfect. Now with a special performance, I'm like, he's obviously, oh. he has no idea what they're going to play. I like it when he, I like it when he says Vito Corleone. Vito Corleone. <laughs> Vito Corleone. <laughs> yeah, he's good. And and his wife, Mrs. Geary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I said, I said this to Syracuse. I think I said this to you. I've said this to other people. The thing that strikes me throughout these movies, maybe even especially Godfather 2, is the minor roles. Oh. There's so many people. I Like, I remember, I still remember, like, the cop who guides Vito out of the line at Ellis Island. I remember the guy with the accordion and the glasses when, when, uh, when uh, Fredo greets Mike to Las Vegas. Like, I, 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 just, I feel like there's so many faces in this movie that I remember so clearly that even if they weren't a speaking part, they still yeah. feel like a giant part of the movie to me. The, I, the nurse, who's the only other person in the hospital when Michael just happens... No, when Michael happens oh, upon yes, his yes, father yes, yes, and realizes right. he's not guarded... And that nurse comes in and just says, like, you can't be here. And says it with that sort of authority where, like, let's just say that you're, you, you know, you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're, relative your loved one is not a, an endangered member of the mafia you're just there to see somebody in your family is in the hospital and a nurse comes up to you and says to you in that in a sort of a authoritative manner you can't be here right now you're like oh well, it's I'm- almost like you like you've wandered into where the medications are locked up like yeah. hey you can't be here like you probably don't know it but you can't be in here you're in the wrong area yeah it's it, it's a vivid performance it's like it it you know she's got i don't know three or four lines but and but it's a great little interaction the way that michael conveys to her you're not a you're not getting at me out of here and b if you don't help me somebody's going to come in here and shoot my father Total, I totally agree. Yeah, I started a list, list, of, list of fives a long time ago of uh, five incredibly minor characters from The Godfather. Because there's and there's just so many, and you know, and I, I guess the guy's name's Fred Ruse. Somebody was telling me who was a producer on the film that actually also got lent out to Lucas from uh, Coppola, from, I guess from Zoetrope. But uh, yeah, I mean, whoever was responsible for getting those faces in there, it, they were really clicking on all cylinders. The thing- oh, the cinematography, everything oh. about this movie. It's so gorgeous. How much darker could these scenes get? You can barely make out the figures, the shadows of two people in a room, and yet it completely works. Oh, it's it's amazing. And then when there is a scene, and then all of a sudden when there is a scene in the sunshine, it's amazing. Like at the wedding. We, well, I guess we talked about this once before. Did you, right. So we talked about this. You've watched the documentary where, um, oh God, I feel so bad. It's not Haskell Wexler. What's the guy's name? What's the cinematographer's name? Uh, uh, not Roger Deakins. No, it's not. But It's... I could just go look it up on the internet. Yeah, we could. I hear a thousand people screaming. Gordon Willis. Gordon Willis. Shameful. And he though. said he he basically 
you should stop me here if I got this wrong. He lit those scenes as dark as talking to mama in the house, as light as the wedding outside. The wedding is completely blown out to the edge of exposure. Right. You can barely make out figures inside, you know. There's certain scenes like uh, where you can barely make out the figures. He said if you move one stop in either direction, it would ruin it would ruin the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was so particular. He's like if you if you move one if you move one stop up, that is gonna screw up all the wedding scenes. It's gonna be unusable. If you move one stop down, you literally won't be able to see anything on screen in the boathouse. <laughs> Right, but it's just it, it, it's like a, a microcosm of like the way in, that in The Godfather Two in the in the movie order that you're in the Michael Corleone era, and then you go back to Young Vito, and then right. you go back to Michael, and then you go back to in The Godfather, you're in this dark office that is so dark and so serious and so somber and then you're out there with this great italian music and the dancing and and the fun and the right, sunshine right. it's the same thing it's the exact Absolutely. same thing and it's just the right amount of this and then just the right amount of that but there's a lot of stuff where light ends up playing an important role where light almost becomes a character certainly in terms of like the, the oh without question but think about the scene the entire sequence with uh, going after Finucci during the parade holy shit like, there's like I have like 50 things to say about that that entire sequence. How they pulled that off with those, those side, you know, tracking shots that they do, and him on the roof. But then the scene when he gets into the building and he's waiting outside the door for Finucci, and yep. he has the towel and he undoes the light bulb. Yep. And then Finucci comes up and does this like tap 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 to get the light back on, and he's back. Ah, it's just it's exquisite because the light is uh, I don't know it's just it's just so gorgeous. Light is a character in that scene. I can't help comparing it because it's on my mind because the new movie came out. Uh, and, you know, obviously Lucas and Coppola were peers and, and good friends and it came up at the same time and they know each other. Um, but to compare and contrast their stewardship over their fantastic 70s masterpieces. Yeah. And, and the ways that Coppola has gone back to The Godfather and put The Godfather 3 aside. Number one, The Godfather 3 is way better than the prequels for the Star Wars movies. Whatever you think of The Godfather 3. Um, but, it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not a dumpster fire. Right. It's not, you know, right? it's not a disaster. Right. Nobody, nobody complains about The Godfather 3 the way they complain about the Star Wars prequels. And then what he did with The Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 are things that like people like me and you are just praising to no end. And we're not saying, hey, don't watch them the way they were originally released. We're saying, watch them like that first and then watch it this way and you'll gain more perspective. Whereas what Lucas did with the <laughs> quote-unquote special editions, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, and I got found myself, this, I'm thinking about talking about this. I knew that I wanted to have you on the show this weekend. We talk about this and I started thinking in my head of like what the, like, Lucas special edition of the Godfather <laughs> epic would be. <laughs> And like, yeah, this thing he would like CGI the faces, like Michael's Michael's wounds from the cop beating him up would be much more like elaborate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly one. Um, okay, so one of the things that stuck out to me, everybody knows Star Wars was groundbreaking special effects because it showed you these things that were impossible, like a giant, you know, two mile long uh, starship. Yeah. Whereas the special effects in The Godfather, though, are amazing. I find that their street shot from for being made in like nineteen early nineteen seventies. Oh, the street shots of like old New York. Whether you're talking the nineteen fifties or nineteen forties, or you're talking all the way back to the nineteen tens, they're all a hundred percent convincing. And I, 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 right. I, I'm guessing they did it with like 
matte paintings. Um, that's how they did a lot of like wide shots back then, you know, before the digital age. But they're all they're just convincing, and I don't know how they did it. I, I really don't. But there's, all... there's, they sweated so much of the details in. It feels like to me, like just dumb stuff. Like I was noticing when um, when Michael pulls up at Hyman Roth's house. I think he's in like a Thunderbird, that red and black Thunderbird. There's a little parking sticker in the window that looks ex- completely contemporaneous to the time. Like somebody sweated that. Somebody got that and put that in there. But <clears throat> also, you know, think about stuff like uh, not not to you know go for the obvious one, but the authenticity of like some of the shootings. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading one time, I think I saw a Life magazine article even as a kid about shooting the scene at the um at the toll bridge with Sonny. Oh yeah. And like what was involved in that. I mean, think about all the moving pieces in that. It's it's mind boggling. Or like the scene, you know, again, the scene in at at uh at uh what's it called Lewis's or whatever at the scene at the yep. um the Lewis's restaurant. restaurant. That looks like a crime scene you're watching a crime scene happen you know they, they, like when they then when they go to the mattresses you see all the black and white photos that's what it looked like and it's not pretty like when the captain gets shot in the throat or whatever like it is it does not look like a chicago bang bang kind of shooting how about when mo green gets shot in the eye oh my god i just can't even think about it <laughs> how do they oh do it my god. but they don't cut they don't cut on the gunshot you, it's like no there's, a, there's like a beat He's laying down, getting a massage. He's, he gets shot in the eye with his glasses, and then and then it takes a second. He maybe he ought to be telling the guy to maybe help him out, do something with that back hair. <laughs> he looks up, and next thing you know, there he's been shot through his eyeglasses right into his eye. I don't know how they did it. You do not talk to a man like Mo Green like that. I'm Mo uh, Green. Uh, the other one, I guess it's and he's supposed to be Meyer Lansky. Is that right? Yeah, I think in the so. Ramona Clay. So. Or oh, who's the guy that Warren Beatty Bugsy Bugsy Siegel? Yeah, I think he's sort of a That's Bugsy must be Siegel. A Bugsy Siegel, yeah. With a lot of creative licenses, you know. Sure, sure. You just I think it's a Bugsy Siegel crossed with a bunch of other people like maybe A, not to piss off any real people who are still involved in that sure. business in nineteen seventy one. And then B, just, you know, make it a better story. Ah, uh, Lee Strasberg. Just Lee Strasberg, just uh, so, so many things. But like for me, like the moment, the moment when Mike is at his house and says, basically, is it okay if we knock off, you know, Frank Pantangeli? And he, he takes it he, without, he's looking at the football game. He picks up a potato chip. He says, yeah, he's small potatoes. <laughs> and then eats a potato chip. <laughs> I love it so much. From, <laughs> or when they're talking about slicing up Cuba while they're literally slicing up a cake, cake of Cuba. Right. Here's my note. My notes are that uh, I have a little note here written. It says Hyman Roth equals Yoda. Oh yeah, totally. Like evil Yoda. He just came back to vote in the uh, in the presidential election. <laughs> mm, vote, I will. Yes. <laughs> He's going to live out his life as a Jew in Israel. Uh, the other death scene that re- it was sort of towards the it's fresh in my mind because it was sort of towards the end of where I paused it last night was uh, when Carlo. Now this is uh, oh god when this is Connie's first husband uh, and he's and, he's he's been abusing Connie right well, including then, while she's pregnant and did it on did it purposefully did it to collude with the Bart. Uh, with Barzini, Barzini, knowing that when Sonny got the call, Sonny was going to drive yeah. as fast as he could straight over that. You know, they knew exactly that, which. That way is he was a going. really dumb plan. <laughs> That's I gotta say, Carlo. I know you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. How does that turn out well? Right, but it's perfect because his character would probably do that. His character is like a small time. Well, and hu- he was hustler, desperate. It, yeah, there's that one little scene at a family dinner when he. Uh, uh, 
it, it's it's foreshadowing where uh, Sonny's running the show because uh, the old man is in the hospital and Sonny is talking business and Connie says, we never talked, bu- you guys never talked business at the table when daddy was here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, shut up, blah, 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 blah. And then Carlos says something, hey, you know, I'd like to talk to you and Michael. And, and Sonny goes, we don't talk business at the table. <laughs> right, exactly, right? exactly. But it just shows you, it's funny, because it, at first you think it's a funny way of Sonny being a hypocrite. And then later on, though, it, it plays as Carlo wanting, you know, he, he kind of wants some attention from this. He wants to get in, you know. Uh, well, absolutely. Well, here's the, here's the thing that's, that's interesting and bewildering about that the this kind of Costa Nostra world is that it seems to me that, like the the number one qualification, I mean, apart from being you know Sicilian, I guess, is uh, family. So if you're in the family, regard if you're blood in the family, blood family, right? right? Like we'll find something for you to do. But after that, like wow, so much, so much um, demonstrated competence and so much demonstrated loyalty. Like we're don't worry, dude. Like we're not we're not light on people. We can find people who want this job, but if you want to work in this place, you're going to have to have a surpassing level of both loyalty and competence, neither of which Carlo has, and right. he's not blood. He doesn't understand that. He thinks I'm in the I think in my read of this, he's in the family now. Why doesn't he get to be higher than Fredo? Right. Even though but that's not how it works. Right. Well, anyway, when he gets killed, Oh my gosh! Because he it, says, because Michael plays him like a fiddle. Yep. He's like, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I can't kill you. You're my, you're my, uh, you're my wife's husband, and you're my you're god, my godson's father. I'm godfather. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're here. There's a plane. You just got to go out. You're gonna get on the plane. <laughs> he gets in the car and they start strangling him, and he <laughs> kicks the windshield out. First, you hear the squeaking sound, right. the squeaking sound of his shoes rubbing against the right. windshield. Ah, oh, it's oh, sound so design, good. and it's. It's this way that the violence is, it really, it, it's unsettling, even though I've seen this so many times, umpteen times, like I've said, I can't count it. I've seen it, but it got to me. It's like uncomfortable. And it's because there's no cuts. It's no editing. It's just a camera right on the the hood of the car. And, and the car is driving away. <laughs> right, but what, what what a brilliant shot to get that right to where like right. first of all he kicks it and it makes it makes a noise he kicks it again and it gives a little he kicks it another time and it shatters in a fairly believable way right. you think that was an easy shot to get oh I I was thinking about it because it, no because the guy's driving the car and then there's motion with the car yeah right exactly I, I mean and who knows how you know whether kicking the windshield would I don't know how they mounted it to the hood of the car but however they mounted the I I don't even know. Like, is there a way that they have the camera doesn't pan or move at all? So I, I'm guessing that maybe they had it set up so that it ran without a human operator. I I don't know. It seemed um, to me Walter like Walter Murch. Walter Murch was the film editor who's a, the sound designer for this. When at the end of the first movie, remember we talked about in uh, Toy Story three the seatbelt, the seatbelt you ever saw. Yeah. When uh, <laughs> when Michael is in the the, the study. And they come in and they pledge their faithfulness to the Godfather. And Al Neary walks over to the door that Kay, or Kay, again, doors, always so important. <laughs> no, it's only like the Kubrick guy. Doors, right. mirrors. But Kay is standing outside watching this. And you see Al Neary walk up, making eye contact with the camera. And he closes that door. And that door closing is the door closingest door close you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> like, how did you get such a perfect sound of like, ugh. When that door closes in Kay's face, <laughs> right? It's it is true. It's the door closing his door close. It is. Oh, and how much do you love Al Neary, man? What a badass! 
He's such a badass. He's like, and remember at one point, the, the Don says to Michael, it looks like you found your Luca Brazzi. <laughs> Even when now El Neri gets a gut, he's still a badass. Yeah. Oh. Um, I guess we should probably wrap soon. I gotta yeah. get my kid at some point. I no, could no. talk about this all day, buddy, because man, oh, you know what? To get you back to your Star Wars point, though, you know, and it's 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 not fair as a comparison because I'm sure there's a million differences, but you know, here's one here's one bald fact of this, and this kind of goes to Spielberg as too to too in some ways, where you know, in the case of Spielberg, all three of them are proud of their work, right? You got Coppola, you got Spielberg, you got Lucas. In the case of Coppola, he's so proud of his work that it means a lot to him to have the best conceivable copy of available. George Lucas has claimed that there's not a decent single good copy of Star Wars to put together. Well, you know what? You know who's in the same position? Fucking Francis Ford Coppola. So if you watch that documentary, you sit there, your heart skips a beat when you watch what the actual footage after Paramount had gone out, gone out, you know, basically cut out all of the uh, all the fades, what do they call that? They had the long leaders between scenes. They'd cut those out to put on. They'd taken original copies of the film and butchered them. <laughs> and so he basically, I guess they put down some serious dough to do like a 4K scan and right. rebuild the film, right? Like that's that's pride in what you do. Is it like, yeah, we've got all kinds of things where we've shucked and jive. We made this into five different versions for TV. There's different versions on video. But like here is a version that we that will stand the test of time that we can all be proud of. Did you see that there's there's a new uh, uh thing floating around from of uh, Star Wars? The Harmony Extended? No, a, a totally new one. It's uh, somebody found a 35 millimeter print and... Um, have secretly been digitizing it and color correcting it frame by frame for years now. What? Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. You. It's. Uh, let me see here. Is there Let's, any like test footage out there? Uh, let me see if I have a link here. It's it's called the negative one version. Okay. So if you do Star Wars negative one, negative uh, numeral one. Oh, here we go. Team Negative One. Yeah, Team Negative Star Wars one. Real Three Sampler. Yeah, it's if you. I mean, not that I don't have it because you know. I mean, it's it wouldn't wouldn't be legit. But if you did, it's, oh, it's a, I see. But if it did exist, it might exist. And it might be twenty six a twenty six gigabyte MKV. Okay. okay, okay, okay. Um, but if you look just at the stuff that's out there, it's a bunch of still frames. Um, uh-huh. and they show you like what they had from the because they went from a thirty five millimeter print. So that's not really that's not a great starting place. No, no. Um, they went that, from a 30... that, that, that's a product, not a source. <laughs> yeah, they went from there, and that's why they went through literally frame by frame. Um, and you so, know, like so sort of as they did with uh, the Godfather, right? Where yeah. they have to go through and frame by frame, like rebuild this and clean yeah. it up. So, just for example, like one of the things they had to do with this uh, negative one print of uh, New Hope was that it, like, the initial digital scans of the space scenes didn't even you couldn't even see the stars. They had to do work just to get the to bring oh the exposure goodness. up to get the stars. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but they, it, it's, and I, I literally, I'm not even trying to be coy here. I don't have the digital copy. Well, it's out there. It looks yet. like. <laughs> I'm well, no, no. I mean, like, this is not, this is not difficult to find right. information. There's a site, there's a, there's several places you can get, go to, but one is called Original Trilogy. Right. Where they have discussion forums about the different um, versions that are out there. Right. But one of the things, though, that it's like, and with the, uh, what do you call the ones that are, the de-specialized editions that a lot of well, people Well, there's 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 have. two, there's two, I think two general genres, and people will correct me on this, but I think one is uh, fan edits, 
where people like so that something like you take something like the Phantom Editor, right? Where where you yeah. go in and you kind of remake your own version of how you think it should be, or all the way down to a fan fiction kind of idea, mixing several movies together as fan edits. And then what is the other version called? Like you've got like that Harmy is in kind of a different thing where Har- Harmy's despecialized versions are just what is the highest quality source version that is what was in the original theatrical release. Right. Basically yeah. putting together and, and which is harder than it sounds because you have to get the sound editing right too. But even with his versions, I think one of the things that's lost just from going with all the diddling that Lucas had done over the years is that the color correction is off and the film grain texture is gone from what you mm-hmm. see and that it's it's the lord's work and it's the way i would recommend anybody watching those movies if they can get their hands on them um but one of the things that that like it's like lucas somehow had this aversion to the technical limits of film of the 70s and i, I it's like his as his sensibilities changed on the way you do color correction and and the color temperature of things they changed those original things to do it whereas to my, I mean, again, I can't say that I remember seeing The Godfather in the theater because it came out in the theater before I was born. But it, the way that Coppola has overseen, you know, the, this footage, it embraces the film grain and it embraces the right. color temperatures and and you know color. Well, the grain, like in the, in, as I understand it, I haven't watched the documentary in a couple of years, but the, it is a very good documentary, both as a story and as a technical document. But that, but basically, the grain was not seen as certainly as noise. Part right. of part of the restoration was not screwing up the grain. Right. Whereas part of the special editions and whatever for Star Wars was let's get rid of this grain that we wouldn't have if we shot it today. Mm-hmm. Which you know, and anyway, that's what this negative one. Um, issue of a new hope apparently you know embraces the film grain and you can see it and that you know there's skies that are on tattooing that are completely blown out which is the way it looked when we were kids instead of being bright blue like they are in the prints we know today oh my goodness that's so interesting (laughs) i'll keep an eye out for that anyway yeah i don't you know i hate to be overly critical it's it's so it's so fashionable to beat up on george lucas or what we perceive george lucas to be but you know it's just the the part the part that makes it difficult and complicated i am not the first person to say this is that when we start to wonder if what we love about star wars was what he loved about star wars not that it has to matter but like i'll bet you you could sit in a room with coppola and watch that movie and he would be excited to watch it yeah where he would go i can't believe we got that like you know like just like that shot you have no idea how hard it was to get that shot like you know whereas you know with lucas i I mean i wonder if he even enjoys any version of that film because it really just feels like it's an ongoing it's an ongoing christmas tree in his life that he's constantly redecorating depending on how he feels right now not based on like what the ideal version of this would be but i don't know and i i know that's unkind but that's the part is where you go like it's really strange like when he got left to his own devices with a not unlimited but very generous budget it didn't get better he didn't produce what we ex- what we hoped or like what you know when we thought of George Lucas in the 70s it was like he's the king of our imagination like he's got the be- he's like up there with Jim Henson right in terms of like he gets something in a way that I just can't and he gets that on the screen, and especially in those first two movies. Yeah. And it's just weird when you were like, you got to a point where you're like, what happened? Is this a Capgrass thing? Did they swap him out? Like, who thought puppet meetings would be fun? Yeah, I, I think for the special editions in particular, you could it, you could effectively say he had an unlimited budget. That to just make the original right. trilogy as good as he wants it to be for reissue in theaters now, in preparation for the new trilogy, just to get people excited again... Whatever it cost, I'm sure it was well within the bounds of what what any studio you know would have you know put up the money for. 
and you know, <laughs> we we got like a, di- a dinosaur stuck into Mos Eisley. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a that's with a very or just a, like more more advanced little rats running around. Yeah, <laughs> with the jaw yeah, hanging it off is, it. <laughs> And everything farting. Yeah, everything farts. <laughs> everything farts. <laughs> That's what that would be a great addition to the Godfather. Just add some farts. <laughs> Boy, you can't stop noticing those oranges. Once yeah. you notice the oranges, you really see the oranges, don't you? <laughs> like there the, are so many oranges in these movies, yeah. and it's never something good that happens after. <laughs> the guy the guy comes in at the beginning. <laughs> To talk about his daughter who got, you know, <laughs> roughed up by some boys. And when he. <laughs> right, after, right, right after Vito says, You never come from a friendship before. <laughs> Just to show you, I'm not a callous man. She was the best piece of ass I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wolf, could you call me a car? <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Call me a car. <laughs> oh my god, a pimp! He and never then, got out of Fat Santino. And, and then the same way that they 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 made Han Solo look like he stepped on Jabba's tail, just make make Robert Duvall look like he lifts his <laughs> right butt cheek. <laughs> he just shifts where he like awkwardly shifts a little bit, like. <laughs> just oh, to help help get it out in one burst. <laughs> They're going around in Godfather 2 and introducing everybody. Batista's introducing everybody at the meeting in Havana. <laughs> and from uh, UTNT. <laughs> and of course, Simon Roth. <laughs> okay, somebody out there. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm, I'm just imagining somebody like a Joe Steele. Somebody could do this. Todd. I'm sure Todd could do this. Could we please get at least a, a short supercut? Of the George Lu- George Lucas special edition of the Godfather, of the Godfather with farts, <laughs> like the, in that meeting in Cuba, just some CGI out a bunch of like <laughs> really rich Cuban food to the table. I'd give four million bucks for it to not hurt when I take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's a show. Oh, thanks for having me on, John. I think we helped a lot of people. I hope the weekend goes okay. I hope you uh, survive. Make sure you pick up some extra bread. (laughs) I'm going to run out right now. (laughs) God, I love you.